the Ursus Claws! Hello and welcome to episode 123 of the Age of Darkness podcast. As usual, we have an amazing show for all of you, our dear listeners. Uh, 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 Darren, what are we doing in the game segment? We are looking at the campaign that makes Pharos interesting. So we are looking at Sotha and the campaign and finally proper Atramenta rules and how they can bully your own warlords and most importantly, how they dick each other over to save themselves in a fight. Yes. Great little supplement. I'm, I'm loving these ones. Miles, do you have something for us in painting black in other colors? Yes, we will be talking about Adepticon prep and what to look out for and looking out for us as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, and well, two, two out of three. Well, two you. out of three, yeah. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks, thanks look, for that painful memory there. I, I am the first one to admit that Adepticon is planned in a very inconvenient time for people on an academic schedule. I'm, I'm lucky I can go. I can even go this year, but anyways, we'll, take a car- we'll get cardboard cut out and carry around with we, us. Okay, yes. we, we will live stream the whole thing just for you, Darren. It won't be a public live stream. I will just just have my phone out and just walk around so you can get the full Adepticon experience without and it, smell. And if there's yeah, well, if anything, you're the winner here. Yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> surrounded by teenagers. Um, anyway, <laughs> let's let's go. Yeah, in Tales of Heresy, and in Tales of Heresy, we will be completing our analysis of the book Deathfire by Nick Kime, and uh, we're going to come back around on the fact that perhaps it, perhaps it's actually a good book. Maybe? Only because of the dragons. We will, dis- we will discuss it. There's <laughs> dragons. How could you not be happy with the dragons? But anyways, for once, everybody knows that one thing you, you do not come to the Age of Darkness podcast for is news. But there is a sh- ton of stuff to talk about. Um, where do you guys want to start? Oh, should we just start from where we've kicked off with the LVO preview and just move forward? Cabanda? Because I think that's good. Let, let's start with Cabanda and let's move forward in time because there is so much. And there's 30K on here. There's AT on here. There's Black Library novels. There's just so much happening. This is what happens when you don't put out episodes frequently. <laughs> We like to store Things it up. up. Yeah, we store we all like the store fun up. up, and they just throw you a giant, like, shot of, of fun at the same time. Talking of giant, Cabanda is Fucking Cabanda. huge. It's yeah. How big do you think he is? Like, he's he's well, bigger he's, than Angrath. He's bigger than he's Angrath. Standing yeah. on a Leviathan, and the Leviathan looks tiny. Wasn't like, like Warhound size? The the Leviathan is the size of his hoof. Yeah, it's more just. It, it, it is. It's what a bloodthirster should be. This is a bloodthirster we both want yeah. and need. I bet it will be available at that time for the first time. You think so? Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So, are, 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 are you going to make that conversion we've been trying to push you to make? But not an adepticon. Well, not at adepticon, but are you going to not are, an adepticon? Because no. we we, we want a diorama. Because you've painted like what twelve sanguinuses? Oh, too many. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we we everybody wants everybody wants Miles to reproduce the cover to fear, uh, fear to tread. Everybody wants this. Give the people what they want. So, what are some of the details that really stood out for you? I mean, there's, there's so many. There is a so Vanda. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> About Gabanda. I mean, the, the the major thing was the wing. I mean, it 
the, the uh, I guess, odd shape of it. Not a criticism whatsoever. Not criticism whatsoever. I like new interesting sculpts. It's an interesting way to to, to have it. Uh, it looks like he's like swinging in to like a, a punch, or he's swinging into like a, 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 a axe stroke. I quite like how the wing is bent. I mean, it differentiates it from Angrath, from the normal like bat wing spread. But that was the thing that stood out to me the most. Yeah, it is a bit of a, an odd angle there. Um, I, lo- I do like the axe because it, if you look carefully, it's actually a chain axe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't notice. I didn't notice that. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's a double-toothed chain axe as well when you look. Oh, it's, just, oh, it's gonna look amazing. so great on the fucking tabletop, this motherfucker. Yeah, the whip's interesting. It seems we found out that it was re- in resin. It but looks that's... thick enough for it not to be an issue. But it it'll casting. Ref- yeah, and the fact it's resin means we can use that's also modifiable as well, isn't it? We you can adapt yeah. that. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, you could bend it with a hairdryer. Yeah, but I, I love the fact that we've got so many of the old school details on here, like the main. The mane of hair, the armor, big hooves. Yeah, it's just, it just ticks so many boxes, doesn't it? It's just such yeah. a great upgrade because this is replacing because Angrath hasn't been on sale for years, I don't believe. Like, that's that's a retired <laughs> model. No, you can still buy it. Angrath, we had sure? this conversation. Yeah, we've had this yeah, conversation. All, Did we all have this conversation? The, um, yeah, yes, yes, that's right. You have to, you, you can't look up Angrath. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, because I think this guy's bigger than Angrath, but like the 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 the, the, the I think I, I think just the 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 sculpt design is so much better. Can you remember his mm. rules? Can you remember Ang- his rules? Angrath's rules. Angrath's rules. Yeah. No, 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 no. Um, Cabandas. I think so. He, oh, he can't, he, he can't no. do that one thing once once a game where he uh, uh, sort of unleashes corn. Yeah. So I I, here I, we go. Can, so he's. Uh, He's got a lot to him. So 460 points. Uh, so he's got the Crimson Fury Aesthetic Dominion. Um, any model within 12 inches adds one to result of any rolls to determine how many attacks they have because of Rampage special ability. Uh, Kabanda has a four plus invulnerable save if he's locked in combat or in a challenge. Uh, he can appear on the first turn of the game. And then he can... Yeah, this is kind of the site of hatred. So at the start, at the end of any assault phase, once you've worked out all the results, sweeping advances, consolidations, uh, he can unleash his fury. So you put down the Hellstorm template with a narrow, narrow end touching his base, and then anything underneath the, hit, the template takes a number of hits equal to the number of wounds Cabandas caused at strength six AP dash. Savage. Yeah. yeah, and he has preferred enemy Sanguinius and hatred Sanguinius. <laughs> Everybody wants to see this. God damn it. I, I, I can't if, wait to see this on a table. And if he kills Sanguinius, it's worth two extra victory points. Honestly, yeah. he hit it out of the park. Um, Forge World, I, I feel that the only thing that really disappoints the community is that there's not much coming out. But when something does come out, it's very rare that it's a disappointment. Yeah. I mean, having said that, do uh, uh, as a, uh, I'm not sure whether we want to segue into this at the moment, but will we be seeing rules for Angrath when the new edition is released? Uh, well, we already have rules for Angrath, and I don't think 
the, the, the big question, I guess, when because we know a new edition is coming, everybody everybody knows this at this point. Um, we're just kind of waiting. I would think that the rules in book eight or book nine, book eight, I would think yeah, that they're, they're, they're probably not going to be uh, superseded that much. I'm thinking we're probably going to get a little booklet. You remember uh, the transition from uh, second to third edition? And it came with a little booklet with like new rules, like pretty much like uh, 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 updates for, for, for every army. Or even seventh to eighth, 40k. Yep. Uh, yeah, rather than hordes and things. Okay, I mean, what, yeah. sh- sh- should we should we talk about this now? The the rumors? Yeah, we don't know anything. <laughs> we do, we don't know anything, and uh, I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm not paying attention to rumors. Uh, and and I know people are leaking stuff. I'm trying not to pay attention to it because I think Darren, you you put it very well. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Without knowing what everything looks like, without being able to look at it holistically, uh, it's hard to make any judgments. Yeah, I, I'm I'm happy with going with that. But uh, that I th- I think the community at large knows that the rule book has practically been uh, leaked at this point. Um, but like you say, it, it's sort of like it, it's not even half the story. It's not even a third of the story. We're just seeing a snippet of something in isolation. Yeah, I mean, a rule by its a rule by itself, you can read in several ways. You've got to think also how it's interacting with the units used on units it's used being used against points values, and in there's so many interactions in the game, isn't it? It's very hard to just look at a rule and go, "That's really good" yeah. or "That's really rubbish." And you have those oddities as well, like those units that math hammer dictates are bad, but always seem to work out for you. So you have those little. Uh, okay, so. We are aware that the rules have been leaked, but we won't be addressing them in this episode. What kind of analysis can we make with uh, half, you know, like half rules? I don't know. Like I would, I would, I would wait for a proper analysis. And and I think for me, the other factor is the fact that it has playtest rules stamped all over. It means they're also yeah. not possibly the final version. So, you know, playtest rules are playtest rules for a reason. Until we see a printed copy in a book in our hands, nothing's set in stone as far as I'm concerned. And I, I know that could be a very pessimistic way. And, you know, the format of it looks very polished and looks very tight, but things can change quite a lot in that final draft in series. So, and there's, there's so many other things we can talk about in depth with terms of rules, like RAN and We've got the dire wolf we can talk about as well. This, the dire know, wolf. The dire wolf. What, what dire wolf? For, for, for Titanicus. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. So do we want to talk about the dire wolf next? Is, is the, judging by that. <laughs> perfect, perfect segue, yes. Does anybody else think it looks silly? Is it just me? Am I the only person? <laughs> I think... One of the challenges that people have come across, and I'm going to put it politely like that, is it's a blend of Warhound and Ed 209. And it we're very used to the idea of Warhounds for Titans being speedy, stealthy, fast-moving critters, and the Direwolf's not. But, but what I'm going to throw in here is I think we're exploring the idea for Warhound with Direwolf as a Scout Titan in a slightly different way. So if you think the Warhound is 
your forward your forward reconnaissance is going out, it's finding the enemy, it's reporting back where the enemy are. The direwolf for me sits much more in the category of tank hunter. So it's something that would mm. lay lie in ambush, wait for the enemy to cross his path. You're just going to stick it into an area where the enemy knows they're coming, like a mountain pass or an area between two city blocks or something like that. And it's waiting for the enemy to appear, unleash a strike, and then get out of the area. So yeah. they're both scout, they're both scout titans, but they're scouting in different ways. One is a very mobile, active finding the enemy scout, the other is hanging back, waiting for the enemy to cross its path so it can attack and report where the enemy are before moving to a new position. I, I, I get that. I get that. Um, I don't know. I'm not sold on it. But you know what? I was completely wrong on the uh, uh, the Warmaster Titan. Uh, when I originally saw it, I was like, ah, I'm not convinced on this. And then I saw what people did with it. It's just I, 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 I just think it's uh, Games Workshop's main photography style. Um, makes things yeah. look kind of flat and stiff if you will it, it, it's a very simple pose we don't know how many components this kit yeah. is coming into we don't know how poseable the legs are for instance so we don't know how much movement there is in that upper torso or in the carapace weapon so i think it's one of these models and we've seen this quite a few times i mean sanguinia suffered from this to some degree as well where it was very difficult to photograph a good angle of it but once it's out in the hands of a community mm. we, we get to see a bit more Saying that, should we talk about its war gear very quickly? Because we do have some quick rules. Go for it. So let's do it. It, it you know, it's a size six Titan, so same size as Warhound. Uh, it's got a carapace mounted weapon. So it's either got the good old traditional volcano cannon, not the Bellicosa. We will point out it's the Reaver volcano, or it's got a brand new weapon, the neutron laser. So those of you who know your uh, Sakaran Venators or your Sabre uh, with neutron lasers, this does the same job, but it's Titan scale. So it's designed to shut down enemy Titans. It's not bad. It's expensive. It's 45 points. It's expensive, but it's got a 60-inch range. So that kind of feeds into that idea I was saying earlier that it's, a, it's an ambush unit. It's not designed to be getting up close like the traditional Warhound. It's designed to be picking off things at a distance. Up to short range, it's got plus one accuracy. It's only got a single dice of attack at strength seven. So you may be thinking, well, you know, that's, that's not great. That's not impre that impressive. But then you look at the special traits it's got. Bypass. So it ignores void shields. It is draining. So I'm, I'm hoping that reactor is a little bit more stable than the Warhound <laughs> reactor. Or else that's going to go hot very, very Ooh, quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not good. No, but it's also got shock, so you can shut Titans down. So if you get a penetrating hit on a four plus, you're shutting the enemy Titan down. And even if you only get a glancing hit or you don't score any damage at all, that's now rule being modified in the updated Loyalist and Traitor Legio books. So on a six, you cause a shutdown order to that Titan. Now, the other thing I'm going to also point out, it's not a blast weapon, so you can do targeted strikes. So once you know there's a weak point of the enemy Titan, you can barrel into this. A strange seven, you know, that's going to build up quite quickly, but you're also going through those void shields. It's also got um, Ardex Defense or Mega Bolt as well, the, the, the Ed 209 guns on the side, which are basically similar to Vulcan Mega Bolters, apart from their paired weapons. 
So getting a line, you need to make sure you've got a line of sight from both weapons to be able to use them effectively. And there's no accuracy modifiers, which are a little bit different to the Vulcans as well. I like it. I, I mean, the, the look of it, I'm still up in the air. I want to see the physical model, but I know I'm going to be picking up at least one, probably two, to go into my Legio Ligus. Well, they're probably going to come in two two packs. I hope so. Hmm. They are resin, though. It's for first resin. Oh, titan. interesting. No, it's well, yeah. no, no. Um, it, is it, it must be a, a combination kit. No, is it? I would hope resin? so. I mean, they—it's completely resin. Oh, I didn't know that because yeah, the the only other one is the uh, the Nemesis Psy uh, Titan, uh, but that's that's a combo kit. Yeah, that's a combination. This, this is completely resin. Apparently. Ah, interesting. Okay, so look, you've convinced me that this is an interesting concept. I'm still, again, I, I'm sure that it, it's just the way that things are posed. And I understand yeah. why Games Workshop poses models the way that they do is to show off the details and things like that rather than, you know, make them dynamic. Once um, I saw Warmaster actually look like it's it's walking, like I thought that that, that changed everything. I don't know, Miles, yeah. aesthetically, aesthetically, you, 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 you'll never play a Titanicus ever. Um, but like, what, what do you think of aesthetically? <laughs> It looks so clunky. It looks like a Zoid <laughs> from uh, in, oh, you know, the TV <laughs> show. I love it. More. I love it. it. It's everything beautiful about Games Workshop, right? It definitely can't work in reality. It looks <laughs> clunky as all hell. It looks like a Zoid. I love it. Yeah, I, I, I right. think it's a great sculpt. Are you going to add some to your uh, Legio that you'll never use in game? You're not rising to my bed. I keep baiting you and you're just ignoring it. So we have two more releases for the horse house here. We have <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is. We... Sorry, Mars. <laughs> Go ahead. I was trying to uh, change the subject. I was going to say, I, we, we actually don't know how these are going to fit into game either. We don't know if there's going to be a special mana pool for them. We don't know if it's going to be a replacement for other Titans in mana pools. So there's lots of me in, in the air open with this so and i love how they've had to move the void shields to the side to accommodate the uh the carapace weapon as well because they can't use a standard warhound carapace mm. at all yeah i'm looking I'm, I'm looking forward to getting one i'm okay. definitely going to be getting at least one but let me uh, let me ask the group a question would you prefer this and the war master titan more gradients of titan between the the three main ones that we've 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 known for so many years do you prefer this to, to an imperator imperator been the entire game been every single sculpt imperator imperator Darren, really no this this absolutely you prefer I, this I yes. intermediate titans then then just give us the imperator everybody wants yes. it just do it yes Dude, just, give, just, I, oh God, just do it i don't care if there's a game no to go no, with it. I, I'm gonna stand by my moral high ground and go to this and this other is where scale titans. This is where your 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 closing ranks. This is where your this is where I draw down. the line of the sand. This is where you yes. draw the line. This is where I draw a line. Absolutely. You you sell so okay. many. It's, everybody would buy an Imperator Titan. I would buy I'm one not, tomorrow. I'm, I'm not, that wasn't the question. Don't even give it any rules. That, remember, remember. I think we've talked about this a million times in the show that like Grey Knights didn't used to have any rules. You couldn't actually use them in second edition. They still sold models. Custodies too. That wasn't too. the question. That wasn't the question about how many would they sell and would it be popular. Uh, yes. If you're asking me 
would an imperator sell in, in, an imperator sell and would it sell a lot of course it would absolutely you said what did i prefer oh, okay okay that's fair there's a loaded question just make an imperator just make an imperator give us what we want really you just only need once. to make an imperator's leg that's all you need just for lower leg and put that on the table because the rest of it can't fit it would be the size of like a warhound like a 40k warhound or for 40k reaver maybe it'd be, it'd be big but like we've all faced titans on the table god damn it i once faced <laughs> at, at scandus i had to face uh um a a a a a warlord where i had no super heavies <laughs> i did not win um no like okay whatever like we'll we'll, 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 move, we'll move along there but i think that you're wrong i think Everybody out there listening to this, let us know what you think. Let Games Workshop know what you think. Because I think everybody agrees, except for Darren, that we need an Imperator. No, you did. No, you did. that's a miscommunication there. Of course, Darren wants an Imperator. That wasn't the question. It's rhetoric. Like there's, like there's not infinite resources. It's rhetoricians <laughs> like you stop us getting an Imperator. It's fans like you and the fan base poisoning the well. <laughs> Am I poison? I think I'm a good fan. Oh god damn it. I'm sorry. When was the last time you bought an Astra Militara model? That's why you don't get militia. I mean we have two new characters, which are space marines. Should we talk about them? Yes. Yeah, let, let's because talk ev- about because everybody buys space marines. That's why we get space marines for because there's also a lot to talk about with these kits as well, isn't there? Let's let's be honest. It's more than just the actual yeah. model itself. It's more than just the rules. It's everything else that's coming with it. So this is a generational shift. You think it's yes. a generational shift? Oh, this absolutely. is the start. This is the start of a new era. The, these yeah. model kits. Yeah. Explain. Uh, do you want to take this down, or should we go point by point? Oh, I see. Pass it on to me. I, I think one of the big indicators we're seeing a shift here is the packaging. And I know it sounds yep. really petty just to say, well, just look at the packaging. But, yes, these models were released for Black Library Celebration. Nowhere on the packaging does it say Black Library Celebration. Everything on that packaging is Horus Heresy. Horus Heresy, and they've got the specific legions on the packaging as well. So they've got uh, the Imperial Fist for Ran, they've got um, mm-hmm. the Blood Angels for Dominion as well. So that to me says that these are, although they were released for Black Library Celebration, they are becoming range kits. And the way. new Eye of, sorry, the new Eye of Horus logo from the yeah. leaked documents is on. Uh, the the front packaging and you say uh, it, okay just look at the packaging but branding is very important branding yeah and the fact it's, it's also labelled on there as Warhammer the Horus Heresy mm-hmm. yeah well yeah yeah, the, yeah very much so the Warhammer well they've, they've been branding everything Warhammer there I'm surprised that the GW hasn't just rebranded itself Warhammer at this point um, yo this is uh, but is it that much bigger than Betrayal of Kalf or, uh, yeah. or Prospero yes. being in, in the stores? Yes. Yeah. Because Betrayal of Kalf and Prospero were sold as standalone games, regardless of how the community yeah. Yeah, that's fair. used them and perceived them. Because let's face it, the entire community just saw it as starter sets for heresy. 
how many of us have got god knows how many countless boxes of cards and mats and so on and, and board sections from prospero and Kauth that are still sealed or we've sold off Whereas and the these... books were done in, sorry the books were done in the style of the black books the tone of it the branding behind it it was a continuation of an already existing license this these new sets i mean like i say the branding's new uh, and a, a, another point i think we need to for, uh, to, to talk about is that the scale is different these mi- miniatures yeah these miniatures are slightly bigger they're in yeah, the they're... new chaos they're in the new chaos marine uh, scale. Okay. I keep hearing about this, these Chaos Marines that are like almost as big as Primaris. Are they really shifting the scale that much? It's, How do they it's look? more subtle. I think what it comes uh, down yeah. having, having got some of the new Chaos Marines, and I, I'm pretty sure Miles, you've come across them as, themselves. Yeah, yeah. They're more, they're more proportioned, is what it comes down to. Is and yeah, exactly when they're standing up, when they're standing up straight, because you know. Traditional marine models do tend to have that kind of squatting pose attached to them. Once they're standing up straight, they do give that extra sense of height, but it looks bigger because they're more in proportion than they were previously. But the heads are still the same size, the pauldrons are still the same size, the backpacks are still approximately the same, although backpacks always vary quite a lot. You can put weapons from the original resin ones onto the Chaos Marine kits and they don't look out of place. So when we say the scale has increased, I think the best way to be describing it is the proportions are more realistic. Mm. Yeah. So they're they're, they're yeah. inching towards uh, true scale then. Yes. Yeah. Because when you wait, is that a pun? I didn't mean to make a pun. Inching towards. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> go with it. Go with it. No, uh, no. I feel bad about that one. I feel I feel dirty. When you look at true scale miniatures, they do tend to keep the same head, the same arms. So it's not exactly. It, I mean, down for the perfectly. It, it's the proportions that have changed. The legs are longer. Uh, the the yeah, the, the, these models are in the new proportions. Well, excellent. Um, I, I, and I think one of the important things we need to put out here is we do need to remember that as human beings, we're all different heights. I mean, Miles is a giant, for example. He's gigantic. <laughs> yeah. He's it's it's terrifying. Yeah, he, he, you know, it, it's the oxygen's thinner up where his head is. But, <laughs> so I don't necessarily an issue with mixing my 2012 resins in with these new Fafnir Ran Chaos Base Marines because I've seen some fantastic conversions recently using the new Chaos Marines as Sons of Horus, for example, late Sons of Horus. Mm. Um, yeah, they do. They do look that really good. Yeah, yeah. I um, so I, I personally don't have an issue with that. I, I think it can also be explained by the time you get into late Heresy, certainly with the Chaos Legions. That they read, read them the Siege of Terror books, they are swollen with warp power. I mean, Khan is meant to be like twice as large as he was at the start of the heresy. When you read the description of him in Lost in Madame, for example. Uh, no, first of all, when he's ripping doors of rhinos. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so I, I personally don't see an issue with mixing these in. So, human beings are all different. And, you know, we've got. Literary evidence of that. They how often do we hear descriptions of Pollux or Abaddon being described as larger than the average Astartes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why why do we get so het up as a community about well, you know, he's a slight slightly higher or slightly taller than my other marine 
that must mean the scale is changing. I love this as well. That okay, if Marines are going to a larger scale, that must mean they're upscaling the vehicles. If you look at ten Marines as they stand now, <laughs> can they fit in a Rhino? Yeah. Well, certainly not an old Rhino. <laughs> the, no, the old Road Trader Rhino. Jesus Christ, you could barely. If you melted, if you melted down ten modern like Primaris Marines, you could not actually get that like plastic into an old Rhino. Even the new ones, they're not in scale. The scale is off inherent. The Rhino's the always been too small. Like I've never yeah. liked it. All the ve- all the vehicles. Are. I mean, look at the look at the scale of the land speeder next to a Rhino, and that's yeah, only that's got fair. two Marines on a land speeder. No, that's fair. So, yeah, at, at the end of the day, it's abstract. Does does it really make a difference when you're playing on table three three foot away? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know if anybody's uh, yeah, too worked really. up about it, but um, no. Um, really, you say that. <laughs> for one thing, the branding. I think you guys are completely right. The branding is meaningful. It shows that this is not a dead game. The way that, for like maybe two years, people have been saying. Again, this workshop doesn't care and 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 it's sort of like abandoned uh heresy. I, I think just getting yeah, getting models in stores branded heresy is, is pretty huge. And you're you're, and you're right. I, I I take back what I said about this not being any different than uh Prospero. Those games were not the, the, there wasn't a brand for those games. This is the Horus heresy, right? But like I don't know. With, with with this new branding, I think it really shows that. I think they have a much more coherent strategy. No, I think it's more coherent. Yes. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yes, thank you, thank you. And I, and going back to what you were saying about how they're available in source, the thing where well, the other thing to bear in mind is these are now also available in friendly gaming shops, your local gaming shop. Yes, yes, uh, you can you can go into any gaming shop, like you say, and just pick them up off the shelf. Yeah, and away you go. Yeah, you know, little, little little Johnny goes into a local um, gaming store. Oh, what's that model over there? That looks like a cool packaging because it stands out from all the yeah. other packaging in the stop in, in the shop. Who's this guy with a jump pack and a massive sword or two pairs of axes? He looks cool, it, you know. And that's how it starts, isn't it? And then you can also go well, and here's some novels that go along with it. I it, do you feel know, it, that like this is not if given the choice. Remember we talked a minute ago about um, like if given the choice, would you choose if you had to choose between you know the the, the dire wolf and an Imperator? Like most people would choose the Imperator. It's like when you have to choose, like what model should be the first ones to go into the stores. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be like character models. It should have been like it, it should have been a Spartan or something like that, right? It should have been. I, I mean, I guess, I, I guess the Mark Fours and Mark Threes were already in the stores, and the uh, uh, the characters are, readers, but yeah, but characters are a nice gateway drug, aren't they? Yeah, this. Yeah, why not Karn? Uh, why not a plastic uh, late heresy Karn? Because he would be too similar. He'd be too similar to a forty k plastic Karn. Well, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm 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 not saying I'm right here. I'm just uh, I'm, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm also I'm not, not trying to be contrarian. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. I don't know. I, I, I'm un, I am excited about this development, about the branding, and about stuff in uh, heresy models and stores. I'm also a little bit meh with what went into the stores. Give us a fucking plastic Spartan already. What, what would you have chosen? Yeah. And you, you, you can't just choose this as a fan. Mark two, Mark two, Mark two, pla- Mark, Mark two plastics, Mark two plastics. That's what I want. Mark so if it was me. 
if it was me, I would have gone for a loyalist and a traitor character to appeal to both sides. I would go one step further than that. I would do loyalist and traitor. I'd put them together with a diorama scene. Interesting. Yes. But which character? Well, which, which character? Which traitor yeah. character? So, so the first one that popped to mind that completely wouldn't be uh, be able to have the go ahead is um, uh, Logan and uh, Axamund at the Siege of Terror. Interesting. Specifically, that scene in Saturnine. Because you have to try to uh, to balance. Because uh, I, I think Darren, you're 100 right uh, when you say that you know putting out a new Karn character wouldn't look that different than the Karn character that's already available in plastic. That's a good point. Um, but what what iconic characters are there in the Heresy that you could throw in there? Like Argyll Tall. Argyll Tall would be great. Are, are these iconic characters, or are they just reasonably well known? Because arguably, you could put in Fafnir-Ran and Ferox. Yeah. So, yes, so then you yes. have that. Then you have that classic Imperial Fist time warriors. Yeah, straight away. So you, you're really hooking people into a narrative, then, aren't you? Yeah, you buy the characters, and when the box set comes out, you split it with a friend. You paint them silver. You paint them in yellow. We have a leader. Let's go. Let's slow yeah. down. Yeah. But that's what and, we do. Arm, armchair critics. Yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah, very yeah. easy for us to sit in the back here without knowing any of the design process, thinking process, financials behind it, decisions behind it. We don't know what's coming down the road in six months, 12 months, 18 months, two years' time. You know, it's easy for us to spit and, and then being interrupted by COVID. Yeah. For a rough yeah. couple of years. It's, it's been not for the best couple of years. Should we talk about the, the, the models as well? Because we've talked a lot about the background of it and how they've appeared. Um JP, have you actually had a chance to look at the models themselves? Not in person, because I have no interest in purchasing. No interest in purchasing them. <laughs> Miles, I'm sure you've seen. Yes, I have. Uh, it, it, it feels like the new era. You can't compare them to the old resin, the character sets, uh, because the. I, I guess we're used to what. Well, I'm very much used to one thing. I need to get used to this new thing now. Um, they are very <laughs> digitally designed, very CAD designed. Uh, Zephon is a bit of a head scratcher considering the descriptions you get of him in the books as opposed to the actual miniature we get and there's a little bit of a disconnect there but just judging them solely on the miniatures alone they're very solid and I've been seeing conversions galore of them across the community they look freaking great uh, there's potential there certainly in the set uh, but it's weird to say but neither of them really I guess, like, speak to me on that kind of, like, lizard brain level. Like, there's no primal... When I first saw those two Prato miniatures done by Edgar Swarovski, I believe that's how you pronounce it second. I'm sorry if I butchered that. Uh, the original Prato set, the one in Cataphracty and the one in Power Armor, the level of detail and thought and seriousness behind those sculpts was transformative, mind-blowing seeing them. I haven't got that same reaction off these uh, new plastic kits, but for what, w without judging them, uh, Italy against probably the best sculpts that Games Workshop have ever produced. Uh, yeah, they're solid sculpts. They're very solid sculpts. Um, I started putting together a, uh, a Zephon for a commission, and I am contemplating doing a video using the original sort of like 1990s paints 
that I used when I first got into the hobby. So using Blood Angel Red, like I, I have the original um so practically like orange paint set. Yes, I'm thinking about using those, but with modern techniques of so running through the airbrush, see how they handle, and paint up Zephon in the classic color scheme. Mm. Yeah, I think. How about you guys? I've I've picked up a ran, which I know mm-hmm. for all the, the Iron Warrior players out there, deep in take breath. But I I had a good look at it before I bought it, and I had a good look at the spoon. The thing about how customizable would it be? So, for example, the pauldrons are completely separate. The shield is a separate is a separate component. The two axes are separate as well. All the Seventh Legion iconography on there is actually infilled, so you can fill that in that in with magic gold green stuff whatever and sand it off and it will give you a blanker surface so for for me who's less of a painter and more of a modeler if for one for better words i can see a lot of conversion ability with lots of well, less and less conversion more kit bashing with other kits so there's nothing on him like a lot of the the modern primaris sculpts for example or the modern G, uh, chaos marine sculpts where they fit together in very, very odd ways, and they'll only fit together in one way. And they're very, very difficult to kit bash and put and convert with other kits. Rand seems to be built that he, the parts that can be swapped out, are relatively easy to swap out. So I'm, I've got my own, um, my copy of Rand to make him into uh, probably either a warsmith because I've got enough pieces in my bit box to adapt him enough to make him look like a warsmith or to make him in a um, master ex- executions of the chaos marine army and i don't know which way i'm going yet I, i'm leaning more towards the war master the um the warsmith because the armor is probably more fitting but I, i'm not 100 sure but that that's the way i'm i'm certainly leaning towards it and i do i do see a point miles that obviously they are different to what we used to from a character series and other one. I mean, I did a quick comparison of mine against Malagus that I've managed to pick up this week as well. And they're not poles apart, but you can see the difference in them. But you can also see some of the similarities in the CAD sculpting between them, about how the components fit together, for instance. And I think it is, yeah. this is what we're going to be seeing a lot more of in the future. So if you don't like it, you, you know, Start buying up and then, uh, then again, I very rarely do I see a miniature and leave it as it is and paint it out of the box. If if I want to use it for myself, I'm always converting, I'm always changing things, I'm always yeah. individualizing it. I have to say, uh, a friend texted me when he saw Zephon at first. I'm tempted to buy 10 of him for Angel Tears backpacks. That's a very nice backpack he has. Yeah. And funnily enough, that's what one of um my gaming group or our gaming group actually said as well, it's just like, well, now these are done, that means they've got the CAD designs for that marker jump pack, those breacher shields as well. Mm-hmm. So once those are the basic CAD design, they only have to be adjusted. I know there's a lot more work to it. So, you know, I'm not decrying the, the sculptors and the effort and work they put in there, but having a base there to start with is a lot easier than starting from scratch. So there's a lot of future potential being opened up with these. A few minutes ago, you guys asked me what I would have preferred over these character models. And I can answer that now. Um, how cool would this be? Okay, this is what, this is what my pitch would have been. Have a, uh, a character box, a two, two characters, 
uh, Legion consoles, just Legion consoles, and you have uh, the modeling opportunities for uh, four to five different consoles. Uh, and, and pick the most popular ones, uh, Primus Medicaid, uh, perhaps uh, Legion Champion. What would be the most popular ones, uh, you, you think? Well, uh, a so Siege Breaker? Siege Breaker? <laughs> You're a marketing guy. You think, okay, what will be our first miniatures we need for the, for, for the horse heresy? We want somebody coming out who doesn't know anything about this game to look at this kit, go, oh, that looks interesting. I can make, it. but like options, just like I can make four Would different kinds of fucking consoles. On a Primus Medicaid? Would I go into a shop and think, wow, Primus Medicaid, give me, give me, give me. I think who wouldn't? Things... <laughs> I think who I'd wouldn't? much rather a dude Leaping in the air with a massive sword, rather than oh man, like a, a box set of two consoles because that'll make up most of your army. Then you only need a because that that not most of your army, sorry, but like most of your uh, your HQ choices, right? You uh, every almost everybody has a a a Praetor and two consoles. Give us but the two consoles and give us options of the, of the community that already exists. They want to get new people in, and I think the other thing we need to bear in mind here is. These were Black Library celebration. They had yeah, to be characters okay. from a Black Library. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Although they're the first <clears throat> plastic heresy character models we've had, we don't know what the original plan was for a heresy release. What with yeah. everything that's happened in the world over the last two years. So it could have been that these could have been a mid, mid-time release that we, we, we already had would have yeah. a lot of releases already. The fact that these are connected with a Black Library, they had to be characters from a black library novel i think that that is a fact we need to bear in mind that these weren't necessarily intended as the, the first release of plastic heresy yeah in the new era they were there to supplement what had already been planned to be released yeah, that's fair that's fair whatever M- more is better than nothing this is not what i would have chosen but rock and roll i'm happy as heresy fans, we've had some dark times, and we are not living in those dark times. I think the clouds have lifted, uh, and the sun is shining. Should we talk about what they're like on the tabletop? Go for it. I haven't read the rules. Haven't you? Because no, I know that the... Oh. It's going to sound horrible, but I know that the new edition's around the corner, so I'm just kind of very... Uh, like, I, I, I could be reading these rules that are going to be defunct at any minute, because I don't know when the new rules are coming out. Or I could spend my time scrolling on Facebook instead. Picking arguments with strangers in, in YouTube comment section on survivalist videos. Can you leave that pause in the show? Don't edit that out. <laughs> Sounds, that good. Sounds good. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> good. So do we want to have a look at the rules or do we want to skip past that and move on to the, the next bit of news because we still haven't finished with all the news no just uh, real quick yeah go go through it like we haven't looked at it either uh tell uh, as usual darren we rely on you to tell us how this game works <laughs> no you shouldn't <laughs> but anyway who do you want to start with ran or, Saf- or saffron leave the best till last let's do fafni run first all right okay, i don't so think everybody Faf- will agree with you there but okay <laughs> i'll go by the first request so we're not going to worry so much about the points and stuff. We'll, we'll actually focus on his, on his main rules because, as Miles said, we're likely to begin a new edition relatively soon, relatively being a universal unknown. Um, so points are likely to go up, down, all over the place. We just don't know. But we can certainly possibly see these rules and have an indication of where he's going to go. And let's face it, 
out of all the Imperial Fists, Ran is probably one of the more interesting ones. Certainly more interesting than that psychopath's uh, Sigismund. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Sigismund is a one-trick he pony. I've got, I've, I've got a sword and I'm really good with it. Oh, that's nice for you. That's nice. And even Ran is really condescending towards him in the Siege of Terror books. I'd much Sigismund. rather have a conversation with Fafnir Ran. Yeah, I'd much rather get beer with Ran than Sigismund. Yeah, Absolutely. Sig- Sigismund, yeah, I totally agree. Sigismund has like one attribute he's good with a sword. This is like, okay, cool. You've described 16 fucking characters in this game. <laughs> yeah, whereas Rand, anyway, we're getting sidetracked. We don't want to do character assassination of too many Imperial Fists because it upsets their feelings and they'll hide behind a wall. So, um, stat line is pretty much standard Praetor. He's got artificial armor, bolt pistol, fragment crack, iron halo, the headsman of the hunter, which are his axes, and a boarding shield. So his special rules, he's Legionis, uh, Legionis Imperial, Stasis Imperial Fist, as you'd expect, independent character, Master <coughs> of the Legion, and then he's got certain other rules. So he's got Executioner's Tax, Shieldmaster. He comes with Hammer of Wrath. He's also got Hardened Armor, and he can be your Warlord if you choose to. Uh, and he has a unique Warlord trait, which I like. I like when they give a character a unique Warlord trait. You can give him a teleportation transponder, which means he can have the Deep Strike special rule. That opens up some interesting tactics. Maybe with a unit of Huskarls, like we've seen in one of the earlier campaigns, for instance. There's a consideration. Um, so what is the unbroken, uh, the unbroken wall? So if he's the army's Warlord, Fafnir ran and all models in any Legion Breacher squad or Flanax Warder squad get bonus of plus one to their weapon skill for the duration of any phase, any assault phase in which they charge an enemy unit. And he also allows a single Flanax Warden squad to be taken as a troop's choice as well. Plus one weapon skill, you can't sniff at it. You know, you can't you can't turn your turn your back on it. It's quite useful, you know. If you're hitting someone on threes and they're only hitting you on fours, you know, it makes a difference. Executioner's tax is another one. So if a unit charges Fafnir Ran or any unit that he has joined, that unit takes D3 plus three strength five AP dash hits, which hit automatically and they happen at an initiative step 10, but do not grant a pile in move. So basically, you charge Ran. And he does a hammer of wrath on you at strength five. That is not bad. That is good. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's pretty good. It's, it's basically him shield bashing you as you come in, isn't it? Or just jumping on top of you or doing something terrible. And then he has shield master. So if he's locked in combat and you've got, uh, because his axe, the hun- headsman of a hunter, he's got a choice. He can either use one in each hand or use a single one and a shield. If he's using a single axe profile, all hits inflicted by enemy models and alligated to Fafnir Ran reduce their strength by one. That's huge, because that is making him a lot tougher to instant death to starters. And if you've got certain Imperial Fist right of war, Stone Gauntlet, your toughness increases. So it's making him even harder to wound and damage, and then also finish off with the rules you would normally expect to finish your, finish your characters. 
your Paragon Blade is not going to have a good time against him. Your Tyrannic Greatswords are not going to have such a great time. Well, they're, they're instant death anyway. They just they don't win by doubling out. But yeah, things like Power Fists, Chain Fists, Thunder Hammers, you're not going to have as much fun. Um, he's also not counted as having a board and shield for any rules that were given benefits for having a board and shield. And he can ignore the usual restriction for using a weapon with a two-handed rule as well while he's using his shield. So you don't get the additional combat, the additional invulnerable save, because he's already got a Iron Halo. And he doesn't count as having the um, disordered attacks if someone charges him. But even so, reducing strength by one against him, that's quite pokey. As a long-term elder player who's fought against Marines, Wounding someone on fives as opposed to fours is a bigger pain in the arse than you think. As a longtime Imperial Guard player, I can I I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That strength three versus strength four is huge. Yeah. It, yeah, it it's it's huge. So his his two axes, headsman of a hunter. Um so what I like here is normally if you've got a weapon that has two different profiles you're stuck in one profile for the entire fight this one you can choose in every fight sub phase so in your turn you may choose to just hack about him with the two axes and then when it comes to the enemy's turn you can then just bring up the sword and shield or the um, axe and shield so i i like the fact they're giving you options um the single axe is plus two strength, AP2. It's specialist weapon and master crafted. The twin dax is plus one strength and AP2, but you get rampage with that. So that means you're getting bonus attacks from if you're outnumbered, if I if I remember rightly. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. D3. So, yeah, I think it is a D3, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. So you know, there's horses for courses there. If you're going against Battle Automata, well, I'll take the, the single axe and the, um, the boarding shield to give me a bit of extra defence. If I've been attacked by a horde of militia, we'll just go for twinned axes. It's not... Options are always good. I, I think the more options you have in a game for how you're going to use your troops, the more enjoyment you're going to have out of it. So Almost like you could make that? a set with just options, and you could have <laughs> you, you could you could have uh, this box set and just choose which console you want. That'd be great. There are lots of options. Dude, just let it go. Just let it go. I think That's it'd be a really good set. You got to admit it'd be a good set. All right, whatever. So, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> what do you guys think of random? Look at badass. I like it. I, I love. I love it. And I think you're totally right. Um, I love. I love the small narrative um, options that sometimes they they, they they give you. My favorite is still um, Korax, uh, who can take, you know, he, he can be wounded. Um, terrorist, uh, Isfan, five survivor Korax. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these are all great. This is all fantastic. We can think about it. I hope we see these uh, different profiles in uh, supplements. Wouldn't it be cool like, if you had, uh, like in this fan five supplement, a wounded uh, profile yeah. for Korax? Yeah, that that would be awesome. That reminds me, Korax next episode, we'll be discussing the uh, the Iron Warriors, uh, uh, the, 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 their new uh, campaign uh, that dropped recently. 
Um, and I believe there's also some 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 options in there. Yeah, there is. Yes, because you yes, could like is, do you, you could do like early war. Uh, what are the dominators? Dominators. That's right. Yeah, we'll talk about it next time. Let's go on to Zephyrin then. Let, let's talk about Dominion. Um, Miles, do you want to take him? You're a Blood Angels expert. Oh, I haven't got the rules in front of me. Hold on. Hang do on, do you the have the rules, rules in front of you? I've got I've got the rules in front of me. Yeah. Oh, read them to me like a bedtime uh, like a bedtime story. <laughs> This is your role, Darren. Just accept it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just like an echo of my working life. Sammy <laughs> so, <laughs> constantly teach a Welshman and a French Canadian <laughs> rules week after week. <laughs> yeah, teach t- t- you to read. <laughs> so, <laughs> Dominion Zephyrin. Uh, Rebring of Sorrow, the Exile, the Twiceborn, the Exarch, the High Host. And Exarch, that's an elder term. You can't trust the Blood Angels, clearly. They they liaise with Xenos. He's jumping the tree because he's got the jump pack. Um, in terms of war gear, he's got the Artificial Armor, the Spirit and Sanguis, Lament and Grief, which is a, a pair of twin Volkite Serpentors. So he's got Volkite, which raises his level quite a lot in my estimation uh, an iron halo frag crack and rad grenades and then melter bombs so he you know he likes carrying the old grenades he's basically a souped up destroyer which i don't know about you miles that's not the way i read him in the novels i, I he was an outcast certainly but yeah I, d- I didn't read him as a destroyer somebody who's nihilistic in outlook yeah i, I, I don't know I, where this has particularly come from. Maybe it's something I missed, but I, I didn't send a reading like that. So in terms of special yeah, rules, so. obviously he's got his Blood Angels Legionis Astartes. He's an independent character. He's also a Master for Legion, which, once again, I found a bit odd for being a Master for yeah. Legion if he was an outcast. But wasn't he a captain before he was sent back to the Crusader host? He was, yes. So, you know, it could be a, a holdover of that. Furious Charge? which would stack well with the Blood Angel rules on a turn he charges. That would be a bit terrifying. Uh, he's stubborn. He's got Gunslinger. Now, I know there's been a lot of discussion around Gunslinger and where it's come from. It's actually tucked away under the pistol rules. So if the Gunslinger rule is if you have twin pistols, you can shoot both in one turn because the, the, the destroyer squads have them as well. But where you find the actual gunslinger rule, it's not in the universal special rules, it's under a pistol profile. Uh, he's got Paragon Restoration, and he can be your army's warlord with the XR mm. of a high host. I'm I'm surprised they made him a warlord character, if I'm honest. I I yeah, would have same. thought he was a, a, a lot more of a support character backing other characters up. <laughs> So I, I thought he'd be, yeah, either be sort of like a knight errant who could join like different forces uh, uh, under the, uh, uh, yeah, but uh, or he'd be some kind of like destroyer in the Blood Angel army, uh, like a, a destroyer, like a Moritat character, somebody who is outside of the official structure of the Legion. Yeah. Yeah, th- th- there's a lot of, oddities with these rules I, I don't know why I mean, it would be interesting to talk to forge world guys about some of the choices they made so exarch for high host 
So what is, does this allow as his warlord trait? Well, if he's a warlord, then you can select a Legion Destroyer squad as his retinue. So that takes up the same HQ slot as he himself, as a command squad normally does. He can only be deployed with that retinue squad. So if he is the warlord, the only unit you can place him with is with a Legion, Destroy, a, a Legion Destroyer squad that you selected as part of his HQ choice. Uh, they all gain Chosen Warrior, which is quite nice. And then there's been lots of discussion over this, and I've seen quite a lot of discussions on board. I've heard it from a couple of other podcasts as well, where there's lots of discussion. Well, if he's not the Warlord, can he then join with other units? I, The way I read it is, if he's not the Warlord, yes. But I, I would not say I'm a rules expert. I am played far too narratively and I'm not tight enough on the rules to make a hard choice on that. So I'm, I'm ducking out of that argument is basically what I'm saying. Unless one of my co-hosts wishes to jump in and contribute towards the rules at this stage. Well, obviously, uh, we've acknowledged <coughs> that uh, neither of us are very good at that. Um, but why couldn't he join units? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm confused about that. Because if he's the war, no, he's not Moritat. He doesn't have any of those rules. And I think this would have been helped if they had the same rules for Moritat either. Yeah, because they could join the destroyer squads. Yeah, I would think they're they're going with the same thing. No, I don't know. Yes, but it's not spelled out specifically. Yeah. And the community or any war game community, and it doesn't matter whether you're coming from GW or Warlord Games or BattleTech or whatever, they like things spelled out. So we'll we'll move on. We'll move on. I think the key thing is he can have a destroyer retinue squad. Yeah, that makes sense. He can join it. That we'll go. Yeah, with there that. You go. yeah I, I think it really gives that. Yeah. Yeah. Paragon Restoration is fantastic. It's a really good rule. And it represents that obviously he's he's a bit like a million dollar man. He's rebuilt by Arkenland. Because the original <laughs> one he was given by the Legion. That's some really that's some really weird things to him. What he was, Arkan Land made him stronger, better, faster than he was before. Can't tell me I'm wrong. No, no it's, it's true. But he does some really weird, like the things he chucks into him. Oh, yeah. 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 It, yeah. It, it is a lot weirder than the Million Dollar Man. Bearing in mind, even that was created in the 70s, so that was weird by his and who, and, standards. And who the hell knows how, how much this cost? I still don't quite understand. I've been trying to figure out how the Imperial Company works, and I still can't figure it, figure it out. Tears. <laughs> it runs on tears. <laughs> so, Paragon Restoration, what rules does it give? Because it represents all these um, additions, shall we say, that Arkan Land has added in. Um, so it gives Dominion Feel No Pain 5+, which is always good. You know, Feel No Pain, you can never turned down but then i love how they phrase this the first time in any battle that dominion zephyrin loses his last wound or is otherwise removed from play as a casualty you can roll a d6 and on a four plus he gets back up on his feet with a single wound remaining and i love how they put in there otherwise removed from play because how many rules interactions are there where it's just like you remove this model from play destroyer weapons is a, is a good example of that but in this case it's that he just kind of rises to his feet probably quite burned and scarred and horribly maimed but he's getting up with a wound remaining i like it i i really like how they've proofed that rule against those arguments in game of well that doesn't 
he's not going to be able to rule against that, is he? It's like, yes, he is. It specifically states he can. And then we get on to his war gear. So the Spiritum Sanguis is his um, two-handed sword. Uh, plus one strength, AP two, two-handed, sweep and strike, which we'll come on to in a moment, and master crafted. So sweep and strike allows him to, if he's in base-to-base -base contact with more than one enemy model at his initiative step at which he's fighting, he gains plus one attack. So it's similar to the reaping blow that the power scythes have but it's not quite the same. He only gets a single attack, whereas I think Reaping Blow is one attack for each model you're in base-to-base -base contact with. And then he has Lament and Grief, which he's come in, because he's got the Gunslinger rule, which suggests he has two pistols, and then Lament and Grief are a shared profile. It's one profile <laughs> for the two guns. Oh, God, yeah. yeah so... <laughs> You know, it's range 10, AP, strength 5, AP 5, pistol 2, deflagrate. So the only difference there is an additional shot over your, your typical Volkite Serpenta, but it has blind on it as well. Now, bearing in mind, Saffron is a close combat bunny. The fact he's got blind on those guns could make a difference. So he can shoot, some, shoot a unit, blind them, and charge in a, with them against weapon skill 1. So I, you know, it's a bonus. <laughs> it's a bonus, blinds, yeah. Yeah, blind's not always going to work. You know, against most marine units, it's less likely to work than it is likely to work. But then you also got to consider things against like automata, for example, phalax, who don't have massive initiative values, militia, because you know why not murder more militia? Because I know, feel targeted. That's all, that, that's all they're there for. So, overall, Miles, as a resident Blood Angel player, what's your feeling? He occupies a very odd place in the army list. Um, I think if I was going to play this guy narratively, I probably used just a Moritat stat line and just the Moritat rules and say it was Zephon rather than taking this guy. I mean, like the model, I, it, it, it's an odd combination that doesn't reflect the story that i've read of him so did you far, think he I'm, should I'm, be in... I'm missing something no no i mean did you think he should have been in mark four um well there's two versions of him he's in mark three originally i believe um in master of mankind and then he has sanguinary guard armor in the siege right okay. um uh, but they, they've got the bionic on the wrong leg uh and I've, I've never heard of him in Mark VI either, but that's not to say, I mean, a lot of things happen in the Siege, so it's not inconceivable he would have Mark VI armor. I don't particularly have a problem with that. Uh, but in this description of Master of Mankind, he doesn't have a double, uh, like he doesn't have a broadsword. Um, I, I don't remember him having the twin Serpenta uh, in Master of Mankind. I believe he had a bolt pistol in that. Uh, but uh, yeah, like like I said, like, th this depiction of him doesn't have to be a, a master of mankind. You, you can have a whole bunch of equipment in him. Um, I honestly thought he'd be a consul rather than like a master of the legion or a knight errant, uh, a little bit like the Nemean lion, how you can take him as a knight errant or as a leader of a black shield force. 
with this guy, you can either take him as a knight errant or you can take him as a console choice for, for Blood Angels. That would make sense. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination or, or any kind of metric, but it's just a bit of a head-scratcher for me. And I'm wondering how, and again, it's one of those things, like I'm shrugging all of this, how much validity do these rules have when new rules are coming around the corner? Yeah. When right, things that, like Master of the Legion might not be such of a big deal, or we don't know how unit uh, army composition works, how things will interact with one another. It, it's just kind of like, ah, oh, okay, cool. I, yeah. I, I appreciate the effort you've put into delivering us rules for this edition. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think we can ever devalue having more rules being thrown at us. I mean, obviously, yeah, exactly. we've, we've, we've got... I mean, we've had another campaign book, haven't we? We've, we've had the Kauth one. We've had the Underworld War, which has got more destroyers in it and dirty, dirty ultramarine destroyers. But we'll we'll, we'll talk mm-hmm. about those in depth in a later episode. But once again, we're getting more rules and we should never turn down rules. But I agree with you. Zafran, for me, when I saw the rules and having read up to date with the seizure terrorists, didn't quite fit in. And I'm not yeah, between model between yeah between models and rules, like it, it it's a very odd disconnect yeah. between everything. And like we're saying, it's it's not necessarily wrong. We don't know what's what does this reflect in book seven or book eight. Yeah, exactly. We don't have access to all this information, so we're we're only seeing maybe like part of the picture here. Yeah, yeah. So you know, two sets of character rules and another campaign book with the. Altering Nemesis Destroyer Squad, where you can have twenty-man destroyer squads with some of the ah, dirtiest, yeah, dirtiest brutal. ammunition, dirtiest ammunition we've we've seen for a long time. But we'll talk about those when we come on to that campaign set. Um, it's all good, isn't it? And then we've got we haven't we still haven't finished with talking about Heresy News because this is the longest intro we've ever done. I think. Yeah, because we've still got there's so much stuff. Three black library novels to discuss well we'll discuss in more detail when we discuss in more detail but uh next siege terror been announced well leaked well no it has <laughs> yeah leaked by, well, leaked, leaked by amazon yeah well to be fair we it was confirmed it, it was confirmed first by um warcom that it was adb and it was book seven and we had the title for it as well what's the title what, what's, the, what's the title again um echoes of eternity yeah, uh, that is, oh my god, Very good can title. I just say how much I love that title. Yeah, but then obviously Amazon has also then went through, oh, and it's available in September. But Amazon has been loose with pre order dates before now on Black Library Books, so I wouldn't set your clocks by <laughs> and they, that. Yeah, they've even sent out novels beforehand as well. Yes, oh, yeah, they they're, they're terrible. They're, they're... And, and, and and let's be honest, that's not the worst thing about it. <laughs> If no, anything, that might be like one of the least bad things that this horrible company does. But the um, yeah, the the blurb for it's quite good. Blurbs for it, is, yes. it's quite good. At it. It's very nihilistic. Yeah, it's it's very. What, much you want to read imagine. it out? Re- read it out. I haven't heard it. I, I'm not going to read out the entire thing. You can find it on Amazon, but it talks about the uh, uh, the the traitors are sh- screaming through at this point. They are on the last defense. Um, yeah. Dawn is broken. Jakarta Khan lies dead. Sanguinius is the only thing stopping the traitors flooding through into the throne room. 
Yeah, Angron to that effect. Angron Herald of Horus as well. Angron the Herald of Horus. Oh, really? Ripping his way through the defences of an army of demons. Yes, Uh, I mean, I remember Alan Bly saying um, a few years ago that when the siege happened, you'd be seeing uh, weaponry that's sort of like breaking case of emergency. Mm, Uh, I wonder whether we'll be seeing those sort of... We've already seen with the Black Blade, the Sigismund wields these sort of very powerful, ominous weapons that shouldn't really be wielded by anybody. No. Uh, Yeah. Very exciting. I'm very much looking forward to this new book. And I'm also looking forward and, to discussing uh, the first wall in our upcoming uh, Siege of Terror special. Yeah. And you've got an awesome cover by Neil Robertson in front of um, Echoes of Eternity as well. You've got Singular yeah, playing Good Night Terror. Mm-hmm. So, it looks like then, the cover of, of, of Lost in the Damned a little bit, but like obviously a little bit more like extreme. It's great. I, I like Just, how they've shown the difference between what it was oh, like in yeah, Lost yeah. in the Damned and how bedraggled and beaten down he is by by this stage do you know what i love about this front cover as well you don't see it on the front cover but when you see it on the extended view how warped the sons of horus are at this point yeah and how you got the, the world degrad- eaters in yes, the, bunny the degradation well. the yeah. degradation of the legions how they basically look like they're 40k incarnations at this point uh, I like. It. I, I I still hope they go in the direction of 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 this whole game, this whole like uh, uh, narrative, go in the direction of like you know early war, mid war, like late war. Um, in the late war, yeah, there's not much distinction in the late war and for uh, ten thousand years later, more happened. What is that quote from Lenin that there are <laughs> year there are decades where nothing happens, and then there are. Uh, days where uh, we, we, yeah, weeks. yeah, weeks that where decades happen or something like that. That, that that's yes. what the heresy feels like in this universe. There's more difference between the legions at the beginning of the heresy and seven years later. There's more difference then than uh, at the end of the heresy and ten thousand days later. Uh, ten thousand years later. Yeah, managed to pull Lenin. <laughs> always managed to squeeze got, something in. You certainly do. And then we've got still got two others. So we've got Singinuous, uh, sorry, not Singinuous, Sigismund the Eternal Crusader. Mm-hmm. Interesting one. So it's actually a great crusade novel as well. So kind of if people aren't aware of this, the premise is a remembrancer has finally tracked down Sigismund because he does tend to avoid them apparently, and is talking to him about the Great Crusade almost at its end, and Sing and Sigismund turn around and saying, Well, it will never end. And he's justifying why he thinks there will be eternal war, that the the Great Crusade isn't going to be the end of all wars as they know it, that it will actually keep dragging out and keep going on. So, you know, another interesting series, another one in the um, the character series as well. It's not a Primark series, it's a bit like Valdor. It comes under that kind of heading. And then we have another Primark novel. Mortarian. Yeah. Oh, man. So, a brutal campaign calls our protagonist's methods into questions. No, Mortarian's methods? Well, Mortarian? No, I find that. And he needs to stand his ground against the Inquisition of two noble Primarchs. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be epic. David Annandale, who is more known for his horror stories. So, that could be an interesting interesting take. I mean, horror and Mortarian? I mean, come on. Name name a better du- duo. 
Annandale is fantastic. A lot of people, a lot of people criticize Annandale, and I think uh, Annandale, when when you let him do <laughs> his thing, he's one of the better writers that they have uh, in, in, in their stable. When you let him do his horror thing, like uh, he, he's fantastic. Here we go. Just a bit more detail. So, having only recently taken control of Death Guard, Mortarian is sent to pacify the Cal- of the Calaspus system, the Calaspus system, whose leaders greedily enrich themselves at the expense of their population. Oh. Re- the response is They're so corrupt too. The thing that Mortarian loves the most, <laughs> corruption. The response is so swift and brutal that even the Imperium balks of a carnage, although Mortarian <laughs> shows no signs of remorse. Love it. Uh, and it's love. got Tyf- and it's got Typhon on the front as well. Like more to, uh, like the Death Guard is still my first love, right? It's one of those things that like I don't really play a Death Guard army uh, right now. I don't have. Uh, I have a 40k Death Guard army, but I don't have the which I haven't used in like fucking 10 years. But anyways, um Mortarian's still like my first love, right? Like when I got into this universe, when I decided to uh uh to be seduced by the lure of chaos, it was Nurgle. Um I I will I will I'm I'm so excited by this and I can't wait to discuss it on the show. Yeah, I, I'm quite looking forward to this Primarch story, I have to say. Um, who's left from the Primarchs to do? Horus, 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 yeah. Hor- Horus Also, we've only done, by the way, I should note, guys, we've only done one of the Primark books. We've only done Lemur Us. Uh, so we got tons of stuff to talk about. Thankfully, shows come out so slowly that we have just an infinite amount of books to discuss. Yeah, I'm trying to think who else is on there. It's still to go, actually. I think uh, uh, there, there's Horus. Uh, is there a Sanguinius one? San- no, Sanguinius. Uh, there's no Sanguinius one. Yeah. Uh, of course, second and uh, second and eleven. We'll see if that happens. That'd be fun. <laughs> I'm sure the community would have opinions. Um, I think that's it, right? I think yeah, that's, that's it. it. Yeah, that, it's only yeah, it makes sense. Sanguinius yeah. and Horus left. I guess they didn't want to do Sanguinius until we had the conclusion of it in the heresy. I think that they, they, it's just it, it, it's just. The trajectory, we know the trajectory with Sanguinius and Horus. It's been set up since yeah. the first freaking book. Um, it's been set up since like this the beginning of this universe, like the trajectory between the Sanguinius and, and, and Horus. So it makes sense that, like, you know, you put these to the side and, and it makes sense, it makes total sense that Sanguinius Horus are the last ones. That makes total sense. Yeah. Like that's what I would do. Yeah. It's just we know we know how this ends. Like and, and and you know um I, I, I like sort of aiming for these last primary books to come out roughly the same time as the last siege books, like I, I, it might be an accident, but it feels it feels right. It'll be interesting what era they do with those two primarchs. Yo, I'd love to them. see Sanguinius a ball. I'd, I bet you I'd anything, half of it's it. going to be about Horus. Half of the uh, Sanguinius book is going to be about Horus uh, and his relationship with Horus. Because I, 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 I think all this stuff. <sighs> Could they do a, a, two novels which are the same events from two different perspectives? Oh, shit. That would be great. I told you guys what my, like, what would my, if I was in charge of this whole thing, what the Last Siege Terror book would be, it would be. It would be a Primus Medicaid. Talk off. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, well, well my, my, I've, I, I've said this on the show before, but like my, my dream would be a, a short story collection where you have 
seven or eight different versions of the final fight between Horus and the Emperor. Like uh, from different uh, from, from, from from different points of view, from like different interpretations, just to really hammer home that no one really knows it's a legend and 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 go with the legend. Like this is a legend, and everybody has a different uh, uh, interpretation. There's 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 like religions in the 41st millennium that are based on uh, um, uh, 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 an incorrect sort of interpretation of of that last throne room fight. That that's what oh, I like, would have done. Yeah, one idea I heard at a weekend a years ago was not actually showing the fight at all, but showing the effects of it on the wider battlescape. So you see ship's void shields blowing out or psychers screaming as their minds are blown because of the amount of psychic energy being thrown off. We've kind of seen that already, right, uh, in the run-up to this, how uh, the struggle between Horus and the Emperor on that ethereal plane has been... Uh, it's more of like an allegorical thing where the emperor's sat in yes. the shade of the tree. So I wonder, like, if this, if the confrontation is going to be framed with that device or framed in like several devices, that I think it's battle. Yeah, it isn't just like a physical blow by blow. It's not like a Dragon Ball Z episode, but whether you're going to see maybe uh, reflections from the past, maybe yeah, you, know, like- when you have like. Gr- great generals fighting against uh, each other. Sorry, I, go ahead. I think, no, I was going to say, I, th- I think I would agree with that. I think if it was just be physical blow by blow, it almost cheapened it. We've had that in The Lost and the Damned mm. Sourcebook, haven't we? That, yeah, that's many stories are always blow by blow accounts. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, without giving spoilers from uh, Warhawk, some of his fight scenes in there are not formulaic, but they are very visceral. They're very physical. I, I think it's elevated by the writing as well. I mean, Chris yes. did those scenes with such grace and power that I think in the hands of a lesser writer, yeah, they can be a little bit boring. Yeah. But when, I mean, for the readers out there who have read Warhawk, we all know those scenes are chef's kiss. Yeah, they are They are extremely well written. Um, <laughs> But I, I like the idea of seeing the, the Horus Emperor fight on multiple planes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, uh, JP's idea of seeing like a short story collection. You could even broaden it out. Instead of like having first eyewitness accounts, you could have like uh, accounts from like 5,000 years down the line, like a Chinese whisper sort of, to see yeah. how it's changed, how the legends change from the... I guess the oh, official version. Darren, do you remember the Babylon, the Babylon Five, the the, the season finale for uh, for season four, uh, where they go through time like uh, thousands of years in the future, and how people are yes. interpreting what happened um, yes. in in the time about that'd be cool. Yeah, something like, something like that would be interesting. I'd like to see Abaddon's explanation to the Sixteenth Legion. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that that would be an interesting one, especially like, look, I've dog, I've got Dad's arm. Look what I've got. Yeah, that's a that's a weird way to uh, to to finish that, right? Like he, yeah. I mean, in the official story, he was driven to such rage that he took his father's arm. Yeah, it would be nice to see that description and how that actually plays out. Yeah. Anyway, we have had so much news. <laughs> this is the longest yeah. intro we've ever done. But Jesus Christ, there's a lot of shit to talk about. And how great is that? Yeah, it's it's good. Slow down. I, I really wish they'd slow down. I liked it when we were getting nothing 
for years on end. It's it's exciting. There's just so much shit I mean, happening, and 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 for those for all those people that that complained for years that this was dead system and uh, uh, Games Workshop was abandoning heresy, it's clearly not happening. If they carry on this road, we're going to have to record more often. God, yeah, we'd have to short. Yeah, we'd have to do. I, we'd have to do something. Like, did you say shorter episodes? Because we tried that and it didn't work. <laughs> yes. We we did we we did what we could, but every time it's like this was supposed to be a short intro. Like we were supposed to just go through some news. No, it wasn't. Uh, it's been like no, an hour and twenty no, minutes. This is always a long one. This was never going to be. We we even said yeah. about that in our own chat that this was yeah. going to be a long news yeah. article. So make most of it. We, we may not have anything for the next three months. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, there's uh, exciting stuff going on. I think I think we're all uh, very happy. Um, and uh, so I, I think this is good for the intro. There might be if we're forgetting something, it'll be in the next episode because uh, uh, we're we're running low on time. And um, uh, we'll be right back to. I guess we've got to talk about Sotha. We're gonna talk about some Sotha. Absolutely. Welcome back to the third of our campaign series. So we've looked at the Thramus Crusade from Book Nine. We've looked at the first exemplary battle, um, which was oh, it wasn't I'm sure which one did we first did we look at first? Pluto, wasn't it? it yeah, was Pluto and the Alpha Legion. This was the second one, and once again, this is based on a black library novel, which was Pharos. Um, JP, you you didn't particularly like in fact a lot of the community didn't really like how they portrayed the night lords in pharos where you weren't really a fan uh same criticism i have for the uh the painted count i mean they 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 go a little heavy on the cartoon villainy um there there's there's making them okay uh, um uh, and and this is something that we discussed uh, at length when we um talked about uh, lost in the damned uh in the siege series if you go back to that uh, special I think everybody fell in love with the Night Lords. I don't want to say everybody, but a lot of people fell in love with the Night Lords based on their portrayal in a lot of Aaron Dembski Bowden's um, stories, which made them very compelling characters, very compelling villains. Like, of course, they're evil. Like, no, no, no one's saying they're not bad guys, but like, and they're probably some of the most clearly, uh, <laughs> the most clearly bad guys, or the most clearly bad bad guys, uh, if you will, um, um, in this in this of of the Traitor Legions, probably. Yeah, them the world eaters, but there's something interesting. Uh, there's there's reason um, to to for their violence. There there's reason behind uh, their cruelty uh, and 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 their savagery, um, and and this belief in in exemplary punishment. This uh, this belief in justice and that a particular belief in justice and that people that uh, disobey laws should be punished uh, severely. Uh, there there's reason to it. It's it's compelling. It's interesting and. What what I didn't like about Pharaohs um, and what I didn't like uh, about uh, the, the the treatment of the painted count um, in in uh, Lost in the Damned is that it gets away from that and makes them it makes them feel like cartoon villains from a Saturday morning cartoon show in the eighties. You know, I, I I kept reading the painted count as having Starscream's voice, right? Yeah, it is it is the classic cartoon villain, isn't it? It is the classic Starscream, you know, bit squeechy. Cowardly, yeah. Um, yeah, just I, I, I don't like that particular version, but that particular way of portraying the Night Lords. Ferris was it was a decent story, um, but it is one of those 
um, uh, and and there's 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 several examples of 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 these in the uh, in in the main Black Library series of of books somewhere in the middle that didn't feel like they were moving the story along all that much. To be fair, Faros does have the best scene with the Night Haunter. Is that it, it, which that, one is that? Is that the is scene? That, that's when, the scene with the melter bombs around yes. the throne room. <laughs> no, that's not Remembered Empire. I thought it was in this because isn't it in I uh, know oh, you are it, no you are right it's just Pharos is part of that scene isn't yeah. it because it pushes them through but yes yeah, so let's go back to this exemplary battle because this is why uh the battle of Sotha is taking place because it has this device called the Pharos which calms the warp in a certain area doesn't it, it creates a, a safe warp beacon that replaces the um astronomical so it, it's this, the beacon of Sotha that allows the Dark Angels and Blood Angels to find safe passage to Imperium Secundus. Uh, conspiracy theory is as well that it also attracts the Tyranid High Fleet. So, once again, there's something else to play the Ultramarines for. But let's deal with our 30k universe. And what the Sotha and Exemplary Battle does is it focuses on the campaign, the drop from the Night Lords onto the main cities within. Uh, within Sotha itself. Something which is mentioned quite a lot in the background of Pharos, but mm. as with a lot of Black Library novels, it's happening in the background as they're focusing on key actions elsewhere. What this exemplary battle does is it follows the, the campaign of a certain claw master, Tsar Siaka. And as most Night Lords are at this point, this is after they've been broken at Thramus, so they're very much focused around key leaders. Uh, which has very much seen them turn into what we would recognise as modern Chaos Space Marines, where it's focused around a strong war leader. And this Clawmaster, Zarsiaka, thinks that by capturing Sotha and the Pharos, that's going to give him more status to be able to go to Horus with. And the issue he has is that he's more ambitious than his abilities may let him on to be. And he seems to be causing quite a lot of frustration amongst some other captains, claw masters, etc. But they support him, and they support him by sending him some atramenta. Let's put this into context. At this point, Sevatar is missing to the Night Lords, so the atramenta are leadership. So rather than being organisers for First Company Elite, as they, as they would be during the Thramas Crusade, they are currently, the atramenta are split up amongst all the other Night Lord forces. Yeah, it, it sounds like, uh, or the way to describe it is, they're they're um, the surviving warlords kind of like you know split them up amongst themselves, like they're spoils. Um, I guess no one wanted someone to control them all, so I think they, they got like divvied up equally be, uh, between all the powerful yes. warlords. Yeah, and the act as enforcers. That. Yes, and I think that's a key thing about them. when we see that very much in the ADB Night Lords trilogy, don't we? How the two atramentary now are very much the enforcers of the leader's will. So we start off with a typical kind of Night Lords assault. So we have a drop assault onto a planet, um, seven companies as well. So you know that's quite a sizable number of Night Lords, considering how broken the Legion is at this point. And they're landing on a one of the key cities. Um, trying to find which one it is. Uh, Sothopolis. Sothopolis, yeah. So, you know, imagine this name there for the old Marines, isn't it? Um, and this is very much like Battle of Armentura, isn't it? There's a lot of comparisons here between Armentura and 
the Battle of Sota in that the Ultramarines kind of embed into the city, they plant charges in a lot of the, the buildings and they kind of form a shield wall around the centre point. Um, however, unlike the World Eaters, the Night Lords take a slightly different approach to this. And it's really nice to see you get this initial drop in and then something I know Forge World have pushed out a lot in their Black Books is every Legion is capable of every form of warfare. So once they make the initial combat drop, we then have an armoured spearhead. And it describes how they're using Spartans, Land Raider Proteuses, Damus Rhinos, Sabres, Sakaran Punishers as well. And it's really nice how we get that mix between the two. Because when you think of the Night Lords, you don't immediately think of them having a, a particularly large armoured formation. So it's quite nice that these exemplary battles are picking these things out. Um, admittedly, this is something that that Pharos, uh, uh, admittedly, the book Pharos, uh, admittedly did well, um, showing that the you know the Night Lords are they are uh, um, uh, an Astartes legion. They can conduct a siege. What I didn't like about it is that uh, they they're fighting like incompetent Iron Warriors, right? They're using like human wave attacks, which I feel that you can you could have you could have shown them. Uh, you, you could have shown them conducting a siege, but um, as as night lords, they, there could have been a way for them to conduct a siege like night lords, and it, it doesn't feel like they're fighting like night lords in um, in, in, in the book Pharaohs. In Pharaohs, uh, I, I said yeah. iron warriors, but I should say uh, they're they're fighting like war leaders, and 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 that's not how I see uh, the night lords. But it is it is good to remember that yes, they have Spartan assault tanks. Yes, they have typhons. You know, they can conduct a siege if they need to. They can yeah. do all tasks. I mean, the way they use human shields in this is a little bit more Night Lordsy than they use them in uh, Pharos, which we'll come on to in a moment. We do see the normal kind of Night Lords modus operandi, if we want to use that term, of butchering civilians and using that to kind of drag down the morale of the forces. Um, we see the old Marines acting as we'd expect old Marines, with, you know, the very ordered defence. They bring down buildings along the line of advance, crushing vehicles underneath them and so on. Um, and it, it's nice also how they do reference that any any survivors from the Ultramarines are dragged away by the Night Lords and aren't seen yeah. again. <laughs> so, you see, the, like, yeah, I, I love this stuff. This is this is uh, Night Lords. I, I'm, I'm not saying that they aren't evil. <laughs> I'm just saying no. that they should have a little. There should be a little bit more reason to it. They should be uh, written with uh, be a little bit more compelling. But yeah, this is great. That'll really screw someone's like, morale. Yeah, but it's like the best horror is the horror you think of yourself. It, it's like what makes for a good horror film, isn't it? Is you don't see what takes place. You have those kind of squishy yeah. noises off screen and you have to use your imagination to fill the gaps in. So I, I do like do like that aspect. Um, so eventually they force all the Ultramarines back into a square in the middle of the city uh, around a statue of Gilliman himself carrying the torch of imperial unity yeah created a, a heretical empire as well um and they're all lined up they're all got you know the shield wall set up ready for, to defend and just as they're waiting for the night lords to appear a large crowd of captured civilians enter the square but the way they've been pushed into the square is quite horrific because they've either had their eyelids sewn together or their eyeballs plucked out. And this is so shocking, even the Ultramarines don't quite know how to respond. And that gives them, the Night Lords a few seconds to act and take out a few of the key um, Ultramarine vehicles, 
tanks and also give the night lords that chance to get close to the ultramarines before they start taking fire so i i really like this and then obviously you get to the the big fight between the night lords and the ultramarines and it, it's the typical thing you know lots of astartes fighting and it's really vicious etc i love the description of the atramenta because the atramenta throw their own people in yeah. front of shots <laughs> <laughs> and killing blows and all these other things to save themselves and i love that about the atramenta it's just that sheer callousness about what's happening and it is a night lord victory let's let's kind of really be aware of that and there's a final twist though which which i yeah. really like Actually, the the the, the 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 final fight is 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 fantastic. I think this is uh, this is really short. It's only three pages, and it's there's a lot of fun content in it, uh, especially if you're a Night Lords uh, player. Um, well, there's this uh, there there is this great bit where uh, he he does exactly uh, as you mentioned. Um, uh, the uh, um, uh, 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 so uh, the, the the suzerain are using like a shield wall. Eventually, the shield wall is broken. Uh, by the the night lords and then you have the uh, the ultramarines commander uh centurion akar who's like uh, uh, marked out by this claw master uh siakar um uh, the, the claw master that this 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 vainglorious uh, um sort of uh, uh this uh not vainglorious what am i trying to say this uh ambitious claw master uh he, he, um so he uh, he, he Calls out the uh, uh, the centurion, the ultimate centurion, and 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 uh, charge them. But a bunch of suzerain kind of like make a wall around the centurion, and so they literally uh, or uh, sorry, um, uh, a bunch of uh, suzerains uh, rush to his aid, rush the centurion's aid, and so yeah, like the uh, the claw master just kind of throws one of his own like night lords, like one of the night lords, like just throws him at uh, the suzerain to hold him off uh, for a few seconds, and, and, and in that time he manages to uh, cut down. Uh, the Ultimate Centurion, just so so callous. It's great. But what what I really like about the kill, because normally we're used to this kind of combat being an honourable face-to-face, you know, they're dueling against each other. No. We're talking about a Night Lord Clawmaster here. How does he kill the Ultramarine champion? He stabs him from behind with a lightning claw (laughs) (laughs) and rips his head off with a chain blade. There's nothing honourable here. There's nothing like... This is dirty gutter fighting, something the, the Night Lords do so well. And so with the death of their centurion, the old rings break and they are butchered at the end of it. But there's a lovely final twist. So the Clawmaster has gained his victory. He's won this battle. And just as he's celebrating, the Atramenta form a circle around him cycle their bolters, raise up their chain glaives and butcher him because they've been given orders by other claw masters in orbit that once he is one, they have to kill him to prove a point of don't step above your status. <laughs> and I really loved that. I just thought yeah. it was such a nice little twist at the end. Yeah, this is the Night Lord's done well. It's what I, I, I keep yes. repeating myself, but um, there's method to their... Uh, uh, they, 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 they're, they're cruel... Uh, they're callous, but there's reason to it, right? They do have um, their own code. These are these these people were in gangs, right? I mean, they have their own code, uh, and and um, what ma- what makes this uh, this what we would call evil behavior interesting is that there's like a reason to it, and it's uh, yes. it's so well spelled. Uh, it's it's so well spelled out at the end. Uh, the last uh, sentence: the Clawmaster had dared to step beyond his place. 
He had forgotten the strictures that the night haunter had instilled in his sons. Glory and honor were worthless and victory was fleeting. It was only the will to wield the knife that mattered and the strength to direct where it fell. I think that's, that it puts it pretty well. Yes, it is, it is really good. I, I think it's, it makes, takes the story of Faros that we're all familiar with, but then turns it into something that works better for the Night Lords. Yeah, I, I think so. I think this was, and again, in three pages, I feel that uh, this was, this did a better job of explaining um, how the Night Lords uh, think and fight than in like 400 pages of Pharaohs. I get more yes. from this. Yeah, it, it's a lot more fitting to some of the classic stuff we've had from Night Lords from uh, Thram's Crusade fiction, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so great little story. Um, should we move on to? Oh, well, sorry, Miles. What, what do you th- what do you think of this uh, this story? I've been quite. You've been you've been quiet. Uh, I, I, well, you've been doing such a great job. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, I loved it bits. Uh, like you say, it. it uh, when you read the Night Lords, or a lot of the attraction in the Night Lords is, I guess, this uh, psychoticness that they have about them, like the soulless quality. I think it's embodied here rather than. I mean, when you take the uh, like the figure of the Joker, for example, I think people get a lot more from Heath Ledger's portrayal rather than who is the original Joker in the Adam West uh, oh. version. Oh my God, I'm drawing a blank. It's, I, I think it's a much more psychologically complex portrayal of a character with deep trauma, uh, whereas the other one's more cartoonish. So yeah, I agree on that point. Definitely the best portrayals of the Joker were always the... Uh, everybody loves the Heath Ledger one. Also, uh, 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 Joaquin... Uh, what the fuck? How do you pronounce his name? Phoenix? Joaquin Phoenix? Joaquin. Joaquin Phoenix. Thank you. You can never remember how to pronounce that name. Um, so yeah, and of course they both won awards for those, uh, for those portrayals, but there's always everybody's favorites, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just making the best villains are the ones where there's some, um, re- there's some reason for their villainy, right? There's some like why everybody like, uh, characters like Magneto, for example, where you can understand where he's coming from. It doesn't mean you agree with his actions, uh, you, but you understand them and that makes them compelling. And again, t- turning characters into just cartoon villains, uh, it's just kind of boring. Just people that get yep. off on 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 the delicious, <laughs> the, the delicious villainy. Road bearers sometimes that are written that way as well. I think there is something about like um, in in the beginning of No No Fear about how delicious uh, treason is or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so anyways, let's show. So what we also get is an Atmentus squad. Now, I don't think we're going to reopen the uh, the argument of Articonska Atmentus. We'll just go straight into this Atramenta squad because, you know, there's, there's lots of discussions of the Atramenta when the um, Consica came out in book nine of are they proper Atramenta or not? Well, we now have an Atramenta squad and they're quite nice, aren't they? They are quite good. So you get, let's, let's look at 270 points, which, you know, it's not bad for a Terminator's elite squad and they are an elite troop choice. Well, they are an elite choice. Let's be aware of that. Fairly standard stat line for for a Terminator unit. One wound. Let's throw that out there. So they're not just staring or fire drakes. Five starting models. War gear. They have a combi bolter. They can have any type of power weapon. They get Tartarus Terminator armor. So, you know, or the all-important sweep and advance move. Teleportation transponder. So they get a deep strike and trophies of judgment, which I believe causes fear with the Night Lord's rules. Uh, yeah, I believe so. 
Yeah. Um, and then obviously their special rules, they get the Night Lord special rules. So, you know, that's going to be helpful because they're already counting as bulky because they're wearing Terminator armor. So if you get more, if you outnumber your opponent at any particular initiative step, you get bonuses to wound, I believe, isn't it? Uh, implacable advance. So they're scoring. And then two brand new rules, which are unique to the Atramenta, cloaked murder and sworn loyalty. We'll come back to those in a moment. Now, the options where it gets a little bit interesting, and certainly with the first option, where you can have up to 15 additional Atramenta. That's right. You can have a squad of 20 Terminators. Beautiful. That, that they is, will be walking, that is however. intimidating. Yes. Wait, wait. Or can you, you put them in a Mastodon? Yes, you could, but not as a dedicated transport, but yes, you could put them in a Mastodon. Oh, that's a expensive ass unit. <laughs> it is, or you can put them into um, some of those Baneblade variants that have a transport option. Stormhammer, I think, is one. Can, uh, what happens if you put um, Sevatar with them? Does he lose, what, lose deep strike? Because they've got tele uh, teleportation transponders, so they will keep deep strike, but you're going to be brave deep striking Terminators in. Not with Sevatar, I believe he he doesn't uh, bounce. I I don't know. We'd have to maybe we'll definitely check on that. But you still Hold got on, to fit I'll, I'll grab the book right now. Keep talking. Yes, cool. Uh, but you still twenty Terminators into a circle on yeah, to a board. True. So <laughs> you know, but it would be very very intimidating. Uh, they get the standard Terminator special weapons for every five models. I have a heavy flame, a reef, water cannon, and plasma blaster. Uh, any of them can take combi, uh, combi weapons or Volkite chargers. Personally, I think if you're going to take a Volkite charger, you might as well take a combi Volkite. Yeah. Could, it's the same points cost, and you still get to keep a Bolter element. And Volkite charger, a uh, combi Volkite, you can shoot every turn. So, Oh, God, I, yeah, you can, can't you? Okay, yeah, yeah that would be... Yeah, so, yeah, combi Volkites, combi grenade launchers, you can shoot every turn. So... Yeah, well, I, if it was me, I would put the way to go. Yeah. Um, they can exchange the power weapons for the standard Terminator kind of additional weapons, power fist, lightning claws, chain fist, thunder hammers, and Nostrum and chain glaives for free. That's the important point there. It's free. And I think if it was me, I think just on a modeling case, I would probably load a lot of mine up with Nostrum and chain glaives just because I think they would look a lot cooler. Okay, in answer to the question, um, uh, Master of the Atramentar, uh, that means that uh, Night Lord's Terminator squads, Terminator Command squads, and Contacar Terminator Elite, and um, um, uh, Atramentar do count as, uh, as, as Terminator squads uh, for, the, for the purpose of this rule. Uh, so um, Terminators from the same detachment of Savitar or Deep Strike will not scatter as long as they're placed within six inches of Savitar as they deploy. So the question <laughs> is, can you fit 20 Terminators within six inches of Savitar? I guess. Carefully. <laughs> but like a part of the unit can't deploy so does that mean that you would have to put them all within six inches or they they um yeah, they, well, yeah what's yeah. the word in for all they have to is it they have to deploy within six inches or a model for yeah. the unit has to night lords terminators okay i'll read it i'll read it out again night lords terminator squads terminator command squads and contacar terminator elite from the same detachment of Savitar who deep strike will not scatter as long as they are placed in six inches of Savitar, of Savitar as they deploy. So you deploy Savitar first. Unit. No, but like, that, no, I don't think it works like that. I think Savitar would have to start on the table, right? How does this yes. work? Yes. Does could, he have could, to have... could he join the unit? And then when you bring him down as that point of first contact, bring in the rest of the squad around him? No, because it's not him. 
that does the, the yeah. um, stops the deploy that stops from scattering. It's an area around him that doesn't scatter. Yeah, exactly. So he really had to be on the board. I feel like there are people shouting at their radio right now. Yeah, this is, we're not we're not rules people, are we? So. Yeah, we, we we needed Christopher on this episode. <laughs> yeah, Christopher, call in. Let us know. We're relying um, on you. Yeah, I think that's Should how it works. I, I think he starts. Uh, he's Savitar uh, uh, starts on the table, and uh, you can place a uh, Terminator squad within six inches, and they won't deep strike. And I figure it's going to be. Uh, um, uh, it's not a bubble. It's going to have to be like the first model because you, you 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 scatter the first model that you put on the table, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the way it works. I'm I'm ninety yeah. percent sure. God, so, I, the, this, the, is, the, this the, is what happens when you have a pandemic and you never play. Yeah. <laughs> So the final kind of options they have is they can all exchange a power weapon and combi bolter for a pair of lightning claws. And then the leader, the Trustador, um, can take a grenade harness or a headsman's axe. So, you know, apart from the specialist and uh, Nostromo or the Night Lord stuff like the Chain Glaive, they're fairly standard equipment for Terminators. What, what really makes them stand out is the ability to take 20 of them and then their special rules. And I do like the special rules. So you got cloaked in murder, and this is potentially quite powerful. So any successful charge made against a unit that includes a model with a special rule, and that is not already engaged in combat, counts as disordered. That's quite powerful because if you, it counts as disordered, you don't get certain combat bonuses. Uh, rules like rage, for example, like world eaters, don't get bonuses from that. And it, I love the description in that they, the reason this happens is because they push each other in front of killing blows. They're not fighting fair. Not, you know, it's just brilliant. They've got, the, the quote is, any pretense of honourable combat has been long since abandoned. <laughs> so you can only to end the enemy in the most painful and undignified manner. They, they use deception and trickery to make spiteful and underhanded attacks, never facing their opponent in an honest engagement. It's brilliant. It's so Night Lords. And then you've got Sworn Loyalty. So if you have Sevatar, uh, and Sevatar is your Warlord, then Atramentors can be counted as troops choices. But if the Warlord is slain, they no longer count as scoring units for purposes of caption objectives. So in other words, you need to keep Sevatar alive. But with his new rules, that's not that challenging. It's not that easy. No. I don't know. No, it's not that easy to take him out, I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's Sorry. what I mean. Sorry, I understand what's... Uh... Yeah, the, the version 2 Sevatar rules, where, where he gets all his up, a lot more upgrade gear, he's a bit more pokey. So what do you guys think of the Atramenta? I like them. I think they're very thematic. I think they really fit the Night Lords. Uh, I love their rules. They're really narrative. And then once again, like we've seen with a lot of these exemplary campaigns, they're not over the top. You know, they're just some nice yep. additional rules that aren't massively overpowered. Oh, absolutely. They have a lot of uh, great uh, weapons options. Um, they're, I, 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 like all Terminators, I wish they had two wounds. I think all Terminators should probably have two wounds. Uh, but they're cheap, 30 points. So they're not, they're, they're the same price as regular Terminators. Like, why wouldn't you not take these? Uh, yeah, um, they're like all the units released so far. They don't balance the game. They give you flavor yeah. to your existing collection. Really, really nice. Really love them. Yeah, so they're just do we gen want generally a, a great little unit. I'm glad that they exist. Um, 
I wonder how, like, how would you model them to make them look different than, um, uh, than, than, than I guess Contacar. I guess you could just use Contacar uh, as your base. Um, but like, is there like, um, uh, Miles? Do you have any ideas of how you would model Atramentor? And I think that's something that we've talked about in the past. Yeah. Uh, so the famous quote uh, or the famous image of them, uh, they they have uh, like lion shoulder pads which i think in the article they've used uh one of the aos kits from stormcast eternals for that uh, if you did want something a little bit more beastly if you wanted a little bit more aggressive you can go on cults 3d and there are 3d printable files both for um uh, both sets of, of terminator armor uh, if you decide to use uh, a different one um I would even be tempted. Uh, okay, when you think of second edition Terminators, especially Chaos Terminators, for some reason, it's always Night Lords that come to mind. Um, I, I think the original Chaos Squad uh, or Chaos Terminator Squad for uh, that army book were painted up in Night Lords colors. So I would even be tempted to maybe do a Kit Basher and Indomitus armor, the new Chaos Space Marine Terminators, and maybe put uh, Tartaros. Terminator shoulder pads on them, or hell, even keep them as Indomitus uh, and use them as equivalents. Uh, because when I think of a Chaos Terminator, that's the first thing that comes to mind. That second edition book with Night uh, with the Terminator's painted in Night Lord's colors. Yeah, and they I have mean, lots you've also of got your trophies. I was I was going to say the same thing that Darren was about to say. <laughs> yeah, you you got all the, the trophy racks, haven't you? As well, so yeah, you know that. Yeah, exactly. Works. I think if it was me, I, I like we I mentioned this a few minutes ago. I'd load mine up with chain glaives as well to make them very, very distinctive. Yeah, uh, I don't know where you source mass chain glaives from, other than it feels like such a lazy excuse now that we have access to this. But there are three D printable files out there that you can use. Well, I mean, uh, Forgeworld does produce a kit with five uh, chain uh, chain glaives. Oh, they it. do. Oh, the great. hand. Okay. Uh, the problem is the hand is for uh, Mark Four. So it would require a little bit of of, of cutting, but yeah, they 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 do pro- they, they do produce a kit, and I think there's some third party um, companies that also uh, produce things that look like chain glaives. Um, but yeah, if you look at the back of this picture on page uh, six, where you have the conversions, I didn't even notice these were converted Contacar until you mentioned it, but now I can see it. But yeah, a lot of them have. Um, I, I believe these are the chain glaives from the kit. And this is a great looking yeah. unit. Yeah, they are. This is these are these are great conversions. But I like how on the image below, there it's a simplified conversion of them. So you don't have to go over the top. It's, it's really pointing out that, you know, you can do a relatively simple conversion rather than a massively complex one. So I, I like how Forge Rider promotes that. Do we mm. want to look at the um, legendary mission that's attached to this as well? Absolutely. Sure. So the mission is Honour and Duty, and it represents for this last stand of the Ultramarines in the Attican Square. So... The Night Lords has to be the attacker. The Ultramarines have to be the defender. No real surprise there. The defender has to take one fortification choice, uh, and they may take more if, if their if they're chosen force organization chart allows it. They cannot have any reserves, however. So the defender cannot have reserves, which does eliminate some rights of war. Uh, the attacker can't have any fortifications. So, you know, fairly, fairly standard kind of army restrictions. Uh, setting up the game, it's a really interesting setup, this one, because you've gotten kind of like a reversed arrowhead. So the attacker is the classic spearhead deployment, so where they're penetrating into the main square. And then the defender's deployment zone is kind of around that. I'm trying to think how to describe that shape. 
it would be the mirror of the um of of the attackers like spearhead triangle so they'd be like in a in a concave uh triangle so uh if you can imagine the um uh the 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 attackers uh deployment zone um as as like a spearhead triangle ah oh, fuck <laughs> 25 20 uh, there's there'll be 24 inches um of 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 uh of the enemy's deployments will be 24 inches like directly in front of every point of that triangle. Does that make sense? Yes. There we go. Well, let's go with that. Um, so it needs to be fairly open terrain because it's the square itself. And ideally, there should be an imposing piece of terrain uh, which represents that kind of big statue of Gilman that they defend themselves around or deploy themselves around. Um, they roll off to see who deploys first. Before deploying, the attack and deploy half of their units and their forces normal. Um, and then for every other unit, they roll a d6. On one to three, it's deployed normally. On a four to six, enters reserves. So once the game begins, the attacker makes reserve rolls. But unlike normal, they have to do it depending on the, on the troop type. So troops and fast attack can reserve on from turn two. Troops, fast attack, elites, HQ and heavy support can be from turn three and then from turn four any units can come on so it kind of represents that those fast moving elements spearheading into the square to begin with um you start the game like normal you know normal kind of roll off you can seize the initiative and it's a variable game length so how do you win right so the attacker the night lords gain one victory point for each friendly scoring unit that is within the defender's deployment zone the Defender scores one victory point for each enemy unit that is destroyed. Uh, standard rules, enemy units that are falling back at the end of the game, units that are not on the board of the end of the game count as destroyed. You've got the typical slave warlord, first blood, last man standing. However, you've also got a rule called hold fast, or objective called hold fast. So for each additional turn after turn four, then the game continues, the defender gains a victory point. So for the longer the game is going on for, the defenders are gaining more and more victory points, which I quite like, because normally a defender wants the game over as soon as possible, because they're normally at such a disadvantage. So it's just an interesting twist on that. And then you have the standard night fighting and reserves. Although, you know, why would the night lords want night fighting rules in place? It's not, you know, let's be honest, it's not a hugely imaginative set of legendary missions. Uh, it's not like the Zone Mortalis missions we saw in the Pluto campaign. Uh, and it's certainly not as detailed as the Atramenta, or not the Atramenta, the Armatura missions in the next campaign. Um, but it's not bad. You know, it's, it's an interesting little one. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it's a fun one. Um, it seems it's going to be hard to win as the, as the attacker, especially if you don't roll well um, at the beginning. Uh, for your uh, for for things placed into reserve, because I mean, if you roll really poorly, your entire army, <laughs> you can literally lose this game on the first turn uh, by not having anything on the table. I was going to say, I would have liked to have seen some kind of special rule that if you kill the defender's warlord, you gain more victory points. Because in in the narrative, that's what happens. They kill the ultramarine's um, leader, the, the ultramarine centurion, and the ultramarines kind of fall apart. So I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more rules around that personally. Yeah, but you know, it's it's not bad, Miles. Uh, yeah, this seems like fun. I mean, not every mission needs to uh, take all day. Uh, not every mission needs to be a masterpiece. Uh, it's just a fun little scenario. 
I'm I'm all there for more content. I mean, this this, this would be a fun one. I think the, the 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 most different thing is the deployment, which I think is a really cool kind of like uh, deployment zone. But yeah, this is going to yeah. be challenging for the attacker to win. This is the, the this is I, I I think the only change I would make to this uh, to make it a little bit more interesting would be having the defender have less points than than the attacker. Because this is going to be really yeah. hard to win, especially considering that your reserves are going to be entering from your table edge and it plays on the short table edge. So um, did we mention that uh, th th this played lengthwise? No, we didn't, actually. Yeah, so this is played lengthwise. Uh, so it's going to take a while to get into the defender's deployment zone, especially uh, if a lot of your stuff's on reserve. But you know what? Not every game needs to be fair. Uh, asymmetrical games are a lot of fun, especially if you play them narratively. Which is what we said in the past, isn't it? And that's kind of the key thing we've seen from quite a lot of these campaign books is you're playing it for a narrative, you're not playing it for a tournament-style game. So, cool. That That's another campaign ticked off. Absolutely. Uh, which is the next one that we're going to do in the in the next episode? Uh, I believe the next one is uh, the Iron Warriors campaign, isn't it? Excellent. I'm trying to think what the name of that campaign one was. It was the Battle of the Beginning of... Um, of, of of Angel Exterminatus, Hydrocordatus. Uh, the, the Cadmian, the Sundrian of the Cadmian, yeah, Hydrocordatus, the Sundrian of the Cadmian Citadel. Excellent. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, all right. So uh, that was the, uh, I guess, the third episode of our uh, series on uh, different campaigns. And we'll be right back for uh, slightly different painting black and other colors. Now it's time for Paintin' Black and Other Colors, brought to you by Lil' Legend Paintin' Studio. And welcome back to Paintin' Black and Other Colors. Uh, a bit of a, I guess, sideways glance at the upcoming event, Adepticon. It's the first one I've ever been to. Uh, JP, I know you're a bit of a veteran when it comes to these things. Uh, and I've been very lucky enough to bag myself a couple of uh, teaching spots as well. Uh, so at time of recording, uh, the brushwork class is sold out. Uh, there are limited places for that. Uh, there is a reserve list. So if you do want to be put down for that in case anybody does drop out uh, for whatever reason, we all know the world we live in. Um, uh, but the Caravage... Oh, so, okay, let me get this straight. Let me get the the, the actual title up. Uh, but... but, but. Okay, so the other class. It's going to be a little bit different uh, because it's not a straightforward uh, come to a class and I'll teach you how to do something. It's sort of part seminar, part practical. It's called Vulgarity, Sacrilege, Impiousness, and Disgust. How Caravaggio can help you paint your miniatures. Uh, so we'll go through a little bit of history behind one of my most favorite painters, locate him in history, what was happening at the time, what his influences were. What are the uh, works that had the most profound effect on me when I was growing up, when I was looking at these images, and why you should care about them as well? I mean, when you start talking about people like Caravaggio, I, I can feel like the eyes start to glaze over. But art, I've always had the opinion that art is egalitarian. Everybody has a pair of, uh, everybody can enjoy and appreciate art. You have a pair of eyes, you look at it, you can make that decision. I want to explain to you why I love this artist so much. And we talk about how we can even draw inspiration from the technique of tenebrism, 
where he'd build very strong contrast from black to white as an underbase for his paintings, how we can take that and use it in our work. So we can take this great leviathan of the art world and we can see how he constructed light and shadow and his process behind that and how he demystified the holy and how we can drag that into the realms of well, painting a space marine. Uh, and it's uh, one of the evening sessions. So I do encourage you to turn up with a drink. It's a relaxed session. We're all there to chill out, find out something new. Uh, and you'll also go away with a tagged event miniature. So it's one of the little naked um, uh, uh, naked pre-post humans uh, that they produced. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the term is, but you go away with one of them uh, and hopefully you'll learn something uh, beyond how to airbrush or how to uh, paint yellow, for example. Uh, so that that's the the courses I'll be teaching there. Uh, okay, but JP, what what the hell do you do at Adepticon? How does it run? How's it run? That's not a question yeah. for me. <laughs> I just kind of uh, I, wander so about. I, I'm not I'm not signing up for any courses. I'm not signing up for any classes. I'm not signing up for any events. I just want to turn up and see where the wind takes me. Honestly, that's probably the best way to do your first Adepticon because there's just so much stuff going on. Um, I've yeah. actually really limited uh, my events. Um, I, uh, I'm just doing uh, the Return to Istvan um, event on, I believe, Thursday night. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be taking the uh, your uh, Caravaggio uh, class because that seems uh, in absolutely intriguing. But outside of that, I'm, I'm, I'm not going heavy on events. Um, I'm going to be bringing um, an army. Uh, I'll be bringing my uh, my Iron Warriors this year. Unfortunately, I wanted to I wanted to bring night, my, uh, the Night Lords that I'm working on, but uh, I don't have the uh, the money or the time to finish that project right now. Um, so it's going to be uh, um, it's going to be my Iron Warriors and uh, no militia this time. It's going to be the first time I don't bring militia. And um, I'm hoping to play some friendlies, um, catch up with uh, with uh, fellow podcasters and, and friends from the community. And yeah, it's just uh, there. There's just so much stuff going on. You got Crystal Brush going on. You've got uh, uh, all, all the vendors. It's always fun to to wander around and, and spend uh, and spend all your money. Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that that guy that was selling inbox man uh, uh, man of war is there. Um, <laughs> so there's gonna be a, there's a lot going on. So I'm trying to limit my events. And honestly, um, if you don't sign up to events, you, you could still probably participate in a lot of them. Because there's always someone that oversleeps. There's always someone that had to uh, uh, bail for whatever reason. It, it's very rare that um, it's, I don't want to say it's very rare. It it often happens that not everybody uh, uh, can make it. So if you just show up uh, with an army uh, to an event, there's a good chance that like they're going to need a ringer. Um, so that's always useful. So I would suggest you bring an army either way, and you know at, at the very least we'll have a friendly game. So uh, yeah, that's that's it's that's not a bad idea to not to not sign up to, to events. There's a lot going on, and you might have a better idea of what you want to do the next time. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Uh, and there are so many heresy events. I mean, you mentioned uh, something that was spawned over here. The return to this fun uh, sold out in like the beat and in like a heartbeat. Uh, it has been run by Alex from over the uh, Death and Betrayal podcast. Uh, I'm hoping to provide some uh, prize support for him as well in the form of lessons. And, um, yeah, well, we're still talking about, but I'm not sure exactly. Uh, he, I know he does have sponsorships from people like WRTL uh, Miniatures. Uh, so there's lots of good prize support happening there. Uh, yeah, I just want to go and experience and get the lay of the land a little bit to see. I would like to attend one of the Games Workshop seminars, especially if the rumours are 
true that we could be seeing? I mean, who knows with it? We've been prophesizing these rumors or, or, or talking about these rumors since day dot, right? That the next edition of Heresy might be made available there. I've oh. I've never wanted a rumor to be wrong so much <laughs> in my life. Yeah. I mean, at the was it the last Adepticon that they previewed the Sisters of Battle and then they gave out preview miniatures? Could they certainly preview, like- yeah, they they certainly did a big preview, wasn't it? Because it was quite Surprising. Yeah. I, I think often we get spoiled here in the UK by getting mm-hmm. early warnings about lots of stuff, I, at, particularly at events like Warhammer Fest, Open Days, etc. Yeah. So I think it was a bit of a, a shock for us UK gamers to suddenly wake up in the morning, look at the Adepticon preview and see something we've not had any sniff about at all. So, you know, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility, is it? I really hope it's not true because no, <laughs> well, I, I, think- I want it over here. I think we'll see something. Uh, it might not be that. It might just be pure wishless on my part. I think we'll definitely see something. They'll they'll have one big reveal there. Yeah, I, I would be shocked if we don't get a preview of it at Adepticon in some form, <laughs> even if it's like here of a new Mark Six. Yeah, here's a new Lucius the Eternal. Well, I hope yes. that there's something, but uh, it, it has been great that uh, Games Workshop uh, over the last, uh, I would say, half decade have uh, really um, uh, gone to these, started going to these events more and and um, uh, going to events that are run by them. Um, and and uh, I think that's been really, really important to, for the community. But uh, the other uh, it, the other really uh, cool thing that, that I would suggest is... Um, Usually there's a painting area. It, it always happens that you show mm. up to uh, your uh, you show up to Adepticon and you know you've realized that a few of your uh, models have broken, or if you're me, uh, you still have a unit that's not quite done being painted. I painted uh, the last twenty of my militia, my first Adepticon. I, I painted the last twenty of my militia the day before at like the painting section. So that that's always well. It's usually run by um, uh, Andrew Gray, good friend of the show, and um, I found it was. I find that that was one of the most fun things. The last two times I went to Adepticon before the pandemic, of course, uh, like I had to uh, finish painting some stuff and it was so much more fun to have a space to do it in with other people that are in the same boat as you are or just feel like sitting down and painting. Um, It was so much more fun uh, and communal uh, than having to do it in your hotel room. Uh, which, uh, which is sometimes the case in events, right? Um, that you know you have to sit in your, you have to to spend one of your days in a hotel room uh, trying to finish your models instead of uh, you know socializing and 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 sort of getting the feel for the uh, for the event. Um, so that's another thing that, that that might be worth doing. You should you should go there and uh, you should go there and sit down and paint something. Yeah, I will. Uh, I mean, I I haven't signed anything up, so yeah, I'll definitely do that. So yeah, you don't need to sign up or anything. You just kind of sit down. Um, if it's if mm-hmm. it's run the same way as usual uh, as it's uh, it's it's usually run, um, you know they just have tables at a particular section. You just kind of sit down and chat with people uh, trying to finish a project. Again, I spent like eight hours. I sat down for like eight hours to finish like twenty militia my first year, but it made it fun. I was just uh, you know hanging out, drinking some beers, hanging out, um, chatting with people. It is one of the really nice touches that, uh, from Adepticon that I really really appreciated. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, because I'm not signed up for anything. Yeah, I'll definitely hit up that, and I'll undoubtedly be paint, be buying stuff there from vendors. Yep. So I'll see where I can paint something out uh, at the event. What is it? Was it David Samson that uh, bought? What What is that like? Uh, the mole mortar? Not the mole mortar, but uh, what the hell is it called? The the the, the under. Sure. Pardon? Oh, VM termite. Yeah, the termite. 
I, I believe the termite was released at Adepticon, or they had like um, a certain limited amount of, of of termites available for the first time. At Adepticon, I think it was David Samson that bought one immediately, <laughs> painted the whole thing, and sold it the next day. <laughs> but he's a fantastic painter as well, so uh, that, that, that was that was rather impressive. But yeah, there's a lot of hobby stuff, and I think that's why we slotted into painting black and other colors uh, the, uh, um, because we always talk about. Um, the uh you know the the tournaments and and uh you know the narrative events and, and things like that we always talk about the actual gaming aspect of uh these big conventions in particular adepticon uh but the, the hobby aspect is some of my uh best memories and some of the, my favorite stuff um i get a lot from the classes and and from just uh sitting down and painting with people it's a lot of fun i mean it, we don't have anything like this over here in the uk i mean the closest we get is salute which is just traders yeah is, is that, that's it and demo games but certainly the main things i like going when i go around to things like salute is looking at different traders and seeing what kind of products because sometimes you can pick up some really good materials or scenery or get some idea of conversion pieces that you can use which you had no idea existed yeah, and I just want to have a story, you know, like you did at the last Adepticon, where you bumped into a guy who was selling off a bunch of Man of War stuff. Best I game. want that experience. Yeah, I just want that random experience that I can't possibly prepare for. Oh, there's another trader that's there every year, um, and it's uh, 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 usually in the entrance, and he just has, like, hundreds of old like old models and everything, like old... or. Uh, old armor cast titans and bins and bins and bins of of <laughs> of of old metal used metal models and and bits and and stuff like that i remember just sitting down uh, one year with like a bin and just going through it and finding cool stuff finding old uh, i have a bunch of uh, chaos warriors uh, uh in in like old blistered still in blister uh, chaos warriors um uh, that I, I've been, you know, waiting for an old hammer project. Unfortunately, it's not in my main old hammer project, which hasn't moved forward anyway. But uh, I don't have, I didn't roll up any chaos warriors. But just ha- just buying something in a blister. There's something so yeah, uh, nostalgic. Yeah, so you're nostalgic a kid again. about it. Yeah, you're a kid again. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great way. To arrive with a budget. <laughs> arrive with a budget because there's just so much stuff. I'm actually planning on possibly taking the train instead of uh, um, flying just so I can bring more stuff back. Because that's always a challenge when you fly is like, okay, will this fit in my carry on? I remember one year uh, they gave everybody with a very important player uh, um, uh, badges. So it's a particular badge where they give you a bunch of extra stuff, like tons of loot. And they gave everybody that had one, the Game of Thrones uh, miniatures game, the the, the entire box. Like they awesome. gave everybody the entire box. I remember Greg Dan going around trying to sell it just because he couldn't fit in his luggage. <laughs> so, anyways, that's uh, another thing to consider. Um, um, so there's so much non-game stuff that happens at Adepticon. So yeah, uh, for a first Adepticon, I think you're doing the right thing. Uh, keep things limited. Um, I would maybe consider signing up to like one thing uh, and just to get the experience of the actual organized okay. events. But um, outside of that, I think you're doing the right thing. It's just so much going on uh, at all times. Uh, anything else you want to talk about this? Uh, I guess this, uh, this kind of uh, informal um, uh, little hobby segment. Um, anything more for this segment? What, is there anything else you want to talk about specifically, like hobby related for Adepticon? I really want ah. regular updates. Don't worry. I, I do want to. Oh. I do want to pose a question to the listeners. Uh, should I bring my Blood Angels or my Sons of Horus to the event? Get at us in the uh, in the comments and let us know. Uh, particularly if you're partip- uh, participating to Adepticon, do you prefer feeling uh, inadequate 
facing a Blood Angels army or feeling inadequate facing a Sons of Horus army? <laughs> My opinion, I, I would bring your Sons of Horus because I haven't faced them yet. And also, um, we might be able to, maybe you can get into the return of this Istvan event if there's nothing else going on. Yes. Agreed. So that's, that would be my suggestion. But what that's would you like to see, well. the listeners? What would you like to see? And we'll be right back for Tales of Heresy. Already weakened by the bombardment, Numian knew the voids would not hold for long. After they failed, the Death Guard would pulverize the Draconis Gate until it and everyone harbored within its fastness was dust. He scowled, frustrated as fate turned again, but there was still a chance. We could try and get Vulcan out, suggested Zytos. Take him to Prometheus? And where then, brother? Numian shook his head. No, we make our stand now, here on Nocturne. This is our world, and we alone are its best defense. Besides, that much armor creates a lot of seismic disturbance. Zaitos grunted appreciatively, and to think I once wondered why the Legion was always so careful of deploying heavy armor on Nocturne. Numian gave a feral smile behind his snarling mask. We won't be alone for long. As if in empathy, the mountains thundered again, and found their indignation answered by what dwelled below. As the Death Guard tanks rolled inexorably onward, the earth beneath them was split by chasms, and through disgorged smoke something emerged from the depths. The sons and daughters of Nocturne had many names for them, just as they had many names for fire. Here, the ignorant invaders had stepped into Imelis without even realizing it. Narlware, Urdrake, Basilisk, Wyvern, Dracon, Targon, the monstrous tide appeared endless. They spilled from the deep crags, fissures in the rock that had laid undisturbed for centuries, long spits of flame from the maws of Urdrake's melted tank armor to slag, while scouts of incendiary gas spewed by Dracons, fused battleplane and boiled the flesh of crew trapped within. Overhead, wyverns and targons took flight before sweeping down out of the sun to rip turrets and rent bodies. The horned gnarlworms, largest of the beasts, charged at the heaviest armor. The thunder of their cloven hooves shook the earth with tectonic fury. Swarms of basilisks came in the wake of the gnarlworms, crushing whatever machinery still functioned between their constricting coils. Battle cannons responded as a rapid redeployment was effected, but the thick leathern hide, bone crest, and carapace of the beast proved inviolate against all but the most potent of the Death Guard arsenal. Crushed, gored, snapped in half, the tanks could not withstand such an onslaught. On pinioned wings, by tooth and claw, spewing fire corrosive gas, these drakes had even challenged the will of a Primarch. They ripped out the heart of the 14th Legion Warhost with impunity. Alright, welcome back to Tales of Heresy. Today's Tale of Heresy is the third part of our three-part discussion of Deathfire by uh, Nick Kime. Um, before we talk about it, like sort of where we are in the story, uh, do you have any idea, Darren, for a, um, um, an efficient synopsis of the last part of the book? Vulcan lives. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> well, Excellent there, choice. Is no other, there is no other summary for this last part, is there? So, I think it's so, the obvious I, one. Yeah, it's, it's the obvious one. And, and you know, shooters for being obvious, but Volk lives finally. If anybody has a better one, like it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, this is the obvious one. I mean, th- this is the easiest one we've ever did. We didn't even need Mark. No, no. All right, perfect. There we go. So um, cool. that, was, that was nice and easy. That was easy, yeah. Um, so uh, we're going to do the last part of, of the book. Um, we did not, just because the second part is so long when we did um, uh, in the last episode, when we talked about it, we, we didn't do the whole second part of the book just because it, it's immensely long and, the la- and, and, and part three is very short. 
So we ended, if memory serves, around the time that the uh, little girl um, is... Uh, it's never, never a little girl. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who has any association with science fiction of this sign or para- paranormal studies or folklore always knows if they pick out a little girl in the film or a story, just burn it straight away because it's never what it appears. Oh, yeah. Uh, same thing with horror movies. I mean, if you see a little girl yeah. in a horror movie, you know that uh, 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 you know that something's amiss. Yeah, uh, especially if they remind you of a child you lost or yeah. the child is revealing knowledge that they should not know at that age. Uh, you know, just kill it there. Just just burn it. Just burn the it. Earth. Yeah. And so and certainly don't was- pet cemetery it. You know, don't no. don't. Do- that's on you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Regardless of, of that typically used trope, um, yeah, we, we left it just as the demons are about to come knocking on Salamander's door, didn't we, really? Yeah, pretty much when you realize that they're under attack by demons, because they've been under attack by the Death Guard twice, and by the word, this is, I do feel that perhaps in the last episode, we, we might have been a little bit um, uh, on the ne- negative side. It, it, the, la- the middle part drags. Um, but what's good is that it picks up a lot in like the uh, the last third of the book um, yeah if, if i remember rightly when i read this for the first time because obviously we always tend to reread these little skim back read through these before we do these um in-depth discussions don't we i really found the middle section a struggle but the final part of the book it really I, I think i read in just a couple of hours because it really massively picks up and you can see how it's all built up to that stage as well yeah. it's just, there's a little too much expedition uh, exposition and yeah. uh i think I think we all agreed last time that this book would have been heavily improved by being a novella, um, yes. by being a bit shorter because there's a lot. There's no need for that many like engagements with the Death Guard and um, feel like it drags a little bit. But again, the third part of the book is really, really good. I, I don't think um, whatever criticisms we have are like blanket criticisms. Uh, I, you know, I, I think there's there's a section of the book that drags. But let's get back into it. Okay, so we realize that they're under attack by demons. Uh, let's start with a little girl because I, I, I still think I said it last time, I, and and uh, I, I reiterate like this is one of my favorite parts of the, of the book. I think it's 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 well done. It really plays well because we we've identified that this is like just a trope, but in a cliche. But, it, it, but then yeah, Nick most, plays with it well. Is, yes, mo- most this book is a classic trope, isn't it? If we're honest, so uh, as we've talked about, it, it's the Odyssey for thirty k. Yeah, and um, what's the little girl in the, in the Odyssey? Like, what what is what 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 is it? Because they 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 make it explicit. I mean, it's not subtle. Like, what the no, little girl I, represents? It's it's like Medea, isn't it? So, uh, isn't well, it? she's like sirens, right? Yeah, yeah, she's kind of summoning everything in, isn't it? She so she's that big, and obviously for that to happen, the Geller fields have to collapse. And pretty much every time the Salamander fleet is kicked out of warp is because the Geller fields have collapsed for some reason. And that's another thing that the war bears are trying to do is to. Uh, collapse the uh, you know collapse the geller fields even though they're not working all that great to start off with so the little girl shows up and uh, there's there's a lot of like fantastic uh, 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 well it's melissa sorry i wish you just call her melissa uh but then she uh it, it, it's really rad she keeps uh you know something like splitting into like more versions of herself like blue horrors yeah i mean obviously you can read that in different ways can you i i I quite like the symbolism of that as in the warp is endless whatever you're doing the warp is always there you you can't fights against the warp it's always prevalent around you and it but it also kind of ties in with that 
salamander ideal as well, doesn't it, about faith? Because effectively the salamanders do have this, this underlying faith despite the imperial truth. So you've got that mixture between the two, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. There's also, uh, I just thought of this as far as salamanders are concerned, um, their like, dedication to helping the powerless uh, and what could be more powerless uh, than you know, a little girl uh, using that against them, I think, is is, is rather poignant. I, I don't think that was the point of it, um, but I, I thought that was fairly effective. Um, even though it really does poison the uh, the shipmaster's mind. That's um, the shipmaster was uh, was I guess the uh, uh, the easiest mind to breach and and to sort of take advantage of. So that comes straight. It's like it, it's his. Uh, it's an image of his dead daughter. Yes, and I, I thought that was quite interesting because obviously when we get human characters in the 30K novels, they stick around for a, a couple of novels, don't they? I'm thinking of like um, of the Raven Guard captain, um, militia captain, um, Venetaris, I think it is. The one who, one who persuades the uh, Raven Guard who are left on um, their homeworld to go and rescue Corax. Oh, I don't remember his name. Oh, I have to find uh, Raven's Flight. I oh, deliver lost. Was, yeah, I've got a feeling it's Venetarius, but I, I'm, don't quote me on that. Yes, uh, Val- uh, Valerius. 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 That's Marcus it. Valerius, um, I think. Yes. But you've also, and you're also, you've got the classic Latarius Sarin in there as well. You've got all perpetual characters. You've all got those human characters who are with um, John Grammaticus on his journey through the warp. Um, no, not John Grammaticus, old Pearson. So yep. often human characters stick around, but in the Salamander novels, they don't tend to stick around very long, do they? They're, they tend to have quite squishy ends. It's <laughs> one way to put it. I don't even recall any from Vulcan Lives. Um, well, no, this is it. I mean, I don't think there are any major ones in in. Vulcan Liz, but certainly in Deathfire, we've got like the ship's captain, we've got quite a yep. few of the ship's crew who are mentioned, and none of them really get through this particularly well. Which, as you say, considering the Salamander, one of the Salamander's main duty is protection of the innocent, well, they don't do a very good job of that in the long run, do they? Yeah, there's even a part that's kind of dark when you know they essentially sacrifice uh the Charybdis uh, to try to get Vulcan on Nocturne, where they literally say it's like you know, your lives belong to the. You, you were bred from birth to. Uh, I think they're talking about the uh, the navigator. You were bred from birth to serve yeah. the legion, and you know you will be sacrificed the legion. No, no, it's not. Um, it's not that part. It's before when they decide to go back into the rune storm. Anyways, we'll get that. We'll get yeah. to that. But um, yes. they don't. Yeah, they they seem a little bit not heartless, but a little bit more pragmatic than you would you would well, think from that legion. As we've seen before, with a big part of Salamander psychology is sacrifice isn't it that you sacrifice for the greater good which as we see it towards the end of this novel is a particular major focus of the final part but we'll get there in the end so yeah i mean in terms of the description of the demon incursion this is like you say one of the better written sections it's effective. But it is yeah it, it's very effective it really pulls out the horror of a demon incursion on board a vessel doesn't it and not just the the demonic aspects of it and the violence involved it's that messing with your mind aspect the thing mm-hmm. the fact that things are happening which shouldn't happen according to our our understanding of physics so it's that whole turning the world upside down which i really liked i thought and I, we don't get that often enough when we're discussing demons and we have when we've had portrayals of demons 
in 30k novels yeah it's it, I, it's so much more effective than because a lot of the times it's, uh, 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 when you have de- uh, demonic incursions stuff, stuff like that it's really just like a bunch of monsters that you have to yeah. kill um whereas the warp is so much more insidious than that um yes. the, the series in general does it fairly well but this is one of the better ones where you really see yeah. that it's not just a bunch of plague bearers that come out and and uh, and attack you it's really like they they play with you they play with your mind they play with your emotions they play yeah. with um it's 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 profoundly insidious like what what could be worse than being attacked by a bunch of of uh of creatures that uh look like your 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 long dead daughter i mean that's that's terrifying yeah. stuff it even is. children's laughter in the background you see these giants uh uh the, 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 these transhuman warriors these 10 10 foot tall warriors um uh, with 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 the most advanced weaponry um and sh- you know uh, uh not terrified but like you know being concerned about like children's laughter coming from uh um uh, a corridor ahead like that, that's i think that's that's really yes. effective and cool yeah it is it is i think we we can agree on that quite strongly can't we but they fight it off don't they the, the, yeah. the, the proud salamanders that they are they eventually fight fight it off re-engage together fields and get back in the rune storm and the witch is really messing with a navigator, though, isn't it? Their, their navigator is losing their mind more and more. Yeah, which isn't a good thing if you're trying to navigate the warp, but, you know. No. Um, but they're also still being um, tailed by, um, uh, by, by, by the Death Guard and the Word Bearers. Uh, their ships, yes. uh, there's Reaper's Scythe and, uh, no, Reaper's Shroud and uh, Monarchia. But uh, the Charybdis doesn't really know that yet. They know that there's something out there and they're clearly being attacked by Death Guard. Uh, but they're, they're, it's not quite clear that they're being tailed by these ships. Yeah, it's the classic, there's shadows in a warp, isn't there? They, yeah. they pick up the echoes of other vessels, but they're not, they can't identify them. They, they don't know who they are. Uh, there's another incursion, um, I guess, around this point where uh, the word bearers, um, I guess, teleport aboard the, the Charybdis. Mm-hmm. Is, is is it here? I I thought it was a little bit later on. I oh, you might be right. When they, yeah, I think it's more when they get to a nocturne system, isn't it? Where things. Really no, no, no. Again. It's before they're, they're, there's an incursion before, and uh, that's when they try to get to the uh, the teleport aboard uh, and try to uh, get to the the Geller field, or at least a group of them tries to get to the uh, the Geller, Geller field. Yes. Another group of board bearers uh, um, uh, tries to uh, get to Fulgrim. That's Degat, which is a nice Cardassian name, I think. Um, the guy yes, tries- you are right. It is. It is this section. Yes. So he tries to get uh, to Vulcan, um, and so you have a bunch of, uh, of 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 running battles with the Salamanders trying to slow them down, uh, especially until they realize that uh, they're trying to get to the Geller field. And um, uh, so the person that they send to stop them, because a bunch of uh, Salamanders are are are, are fighting, um, are sort of pinned down by word bearers, and they realize that they're being um, I guess uh, they're, they're, they're being pinned, they're being slowed down uh, and they realize, okay, they're going to the Geller field. They're trying to bring down the Geller field and then uh, Hecht um, offers to go uh, head them off. Yes. And they still yeah, don't right. trust and wonder why. It's not they telegraphed at all. But, you know, he's trying his best with it and it's like we said before, that there are, we've, we've had issues with this character but he's being utilized quite well, isn't he? He's showing yep. this real lack of trust within the salamanders towards anything not salamander at this stage so i think that i think nick kine is using that character better as the novel goes on i and I, this is a character uh that uh, i i've always liked i mean 
this is a this is a spoiler thing. We okay, it's Narek. Everybody knows it's Narek. Like, fuck. What do you keep pretending it's not? Because sometimes it's nice to, nice to have that suspension of disbelief. Okay. Well, anyways, this is where you find that out because he heads um there's this battle around the Geller field, and uh I don't recall the uh what's 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 the big tough uh, salamander with with one arm? Oh um Hold on. I thought of his name a moment ago. Vorko? Yes, it is. I think yeah. it was Vorko, right? Um, anyways, the, the final salamanders that are guarding the, uh, the, 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 the Geller field, they get cut down pretty much. There's a battle between him and Korgalic, and, you know, uh, Korgalic managed to take him. And this begins, um, I guess, one of the kind of repetitive things uh, in this book, especially in this last bit of someone being cut down or knocked unconscious and then the winner of the battle saying i'll come back for you later which of course yes. is never a great idea but it, it happens like four or five times in this section because surely by this stage of a heresy they know you don't leave anyone alive behind you <laughs> and and both sides do it right it's not yeah. just the the villains i mean everybody knocks someone unconscious and it's just like i'll come back for you later it's like but no, have you never read a book? Have you never seen a James Bond movie? What is this? And, and these are also gene enhanced warriors. They should know you just don't need them alive behind you. No, anyways, um, there, we, there we go. Anyway, carrying on. But this is where uh, uh, Narek shows up and um, stops uh, the, the word bearers. I think I got my timeline right. And, and then uh, yeah. it goes poor Gaelic that um, uh, sort of identifies him. Wait a second. I know you. You're Narek. <laughs> you can't fool me. Um, and of course, uh, it, it turns out that uh, I guess the, uh, the the Malkador had, or one of Malkador's agents had, like twisted his mind and changed his like face and everything, and 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 turned him into a was it Malkador's agent or no? It was the um, the head of assassins. That's right. They turned. Yes. They're trying to turn him into like a perfect assassin. Um, yeah, because he was pretty good. I mean, he did put the fulgurite in, or at least no, it was Chromaticus that put the fulgurite in. In, in Vulcan. yes, but Narek was after the fulgurite, wasn't yeah. he? And he almost got his hands on it if Chromaticus hadn't been there and, and doing dodgy perpetual stuff. Did they explain what what exactly the plan was with Narek? What was he there to do on the Cryptus? I think to get fulgurite. Because it's that's it, eh? Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. I mean, because if imagine you're Malkador, you don't want a god killing weapon around wandering in the galaxy, especially if it can fall into word bearer's hands. Yeah, and Degat actually gets all the way uh to Vulcan uh around this point, and uh, he he's about to because he uh Degat has this uh blade that is like the only thing that can uh can actually cut into Vulcan. Because obviously it's like the sort of stone. Everybody's tried to get uh, the fulgurite out of Vulcan, um, but you can't. So he has a special blade that allowed him to do it. And he almost gets to do it. Uh, and then he gets stopped. Yeah. But once again, there's there's a, there's a lot to it. Because obviously Nemean is in there because he's kind of meditating with, yeah. um, with Vulcan at that point. And he's unarmed, isn't he? So he, he's only got basic or basic gear on him. But some somehow, mysteriously, um, he manages to get hold of Dawnbreaker, doesn't he? Uh, and at that point, he just lays waste to the word bearers in that area. But it's 
the big question from Numian is, well, how did I get Dawnbreaker? Because that was clasped in Vulcan's hands and then suddenly it was in mine. So th- there's that very big spirituality aspect of it again, isn't there? That, you know, th- there's that classic, almost like Arthurian trope that the weapon will appear when it's most needed. Ah, I didn't pick up on that. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, it's, it's miracle yeah. after miracle, which is because um, a lot of this book is, you know, testing uh, Numion, around testing his faith. Yes. Um, yeah. And of course, uh, the big test will come in a moment. Uh, yeah. So the word bearers, uh, they're they're doing fairly well. They're 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 making progress. Um, I believe Neric goes uh, Neric goes down, eh? Yeah, point. I believe he does. But he, he goes down in a, in a good way, good for an Astartes way, doesn't he? He he completes his objective. He he defends the Gellerfield, but yeah. he succumbs to his injuries. So it, it you know it, it's the classic repentance story, isn't it? You know the. the the bad guy turns good at the end, dies of his injury, saving other people. It's, it's Vader. Yeah, pretty it? much. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I guess, uh, okay, so uh, the, the, the war bears on the ship, they're trying to get, on the one hand, uh, Vulcan, they don't exactly succeed, or at least the Fulgrite, sorry, out of Vulcan. And on the other hand, um, um, uh, uh, they're trying to destroy the Geller field, don't exactly succeed, but nonetheless, things are going very, very poorly for the crew of the Charybdis. Um, and uh, then, uh, um, um, a, a, a major guest star appears, which comes out of the blue, doesn't it? Yeah, it, absolutely. I, I didn't, I didn't see that one. Uh, they're they're fighting no. uh, the little girls and everything like that, and suddenly uh, uh, they keep talking about like uh, uh, you'll cut out one of the eyes or something like that. Uh, what is it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's something which, in retrospect, when you look back through, it goes and you kind of think, well, that's Zinchian, isn't it? That that that's very. Change of ways. What's Zinch's number? It's six, right? Nine. Nine? Okay. Because you keep talking about the six. Well, six is Slanesh. Mm. Which is big. Oh, so they keep yelling, she cuts out the other eye. She cuts out the other eye. Which is a, a big foreshadowing of the person who's about to appear out of the blue. Yeah, and who is it? Magnus. It's good yeah. old Magnus, isn't it? Good old Magnus. Every- good old Magnus, you know. Everybody's um, best friend. He is. Name me a Primark that he doesn't get on with other than Russ. Well, you know, that's a, that's an understandable one. Um. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he, he always seems to be on, apart from Russ, reasonably good terms with everyone. But this is only a shard of Magnus, though, right? Because this is before... Um, it is. Yeah, because... Before they put it back before, together? Sorry. Yeah, it's set before Crimson King. Okay, yeah. Um. So the other thing which is also important for what he's just about to reveal as well is at this stage, the Thousand Suns haven't declared for a side. Yep. That all they've done is retreated into a warp and very much licking their wounds. And we know later on with Crimson King that at this point, Araman is doing his warp journey to try and stitch Magnus back together. Mm-hmm. But that's a later reveal and a much later book down the line, isn't it? Um, but yeah, so Magnus appearing here is... A massive guest appearance. It's like what you want when you're watching one of those the classic TV shows at the moment, isn't it? And a massive guest star arrives that you had no idea about. It, it was a big moment. Yeah, it's like well, what I used to hate about that is uh, sometimes you'd find out earlier, uh, like especially like after the, the 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 first commercial break when they have you know the guest stars at the bottom of the screen, and because yeah. uh, 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 I guess because of the rules, you have to like if it's a big guest star, you have to announce it. At the beginning, mm-hmm. so sometimes, it, like when Anna Sheridan came back on in 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 Shadow Dancing, 
So it's like everybody knew because like Melissa Gilbert's name was at the bottom of the screen. It's just like, oh, well, you know, yeah, that's probably in a Sheridan. Anyways, let's not get into the Babylon 5. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I thought this was exciting when I got to it. It's just like, oh, OK, cool. There's, you know, <laughs> this is an this, this is interesting. I wonder where they're going to go with it. Um, and it's one of those things that could have gone either way. And I really I I love this section. I think it's fantastic. I think it adds so much. And it could have been just a classic Greek uh, dissex machiner, right? Um, which would have fit yes. with the Greek theme um, of the book. But yeah. it's, I think it's it's so much more than that. Um, yeah. And it also, it, for me, it also highlights the fact that until the Siege of Terror, uh, and you haven't read the last Magnus novella yet, have you, in the Siege of Terror series? No, it's is it a novella though? It's pretty big. I have. Yeah, it. yeah. It's, oh, okay. uh, the the, the, Mag, the Magnus story is a novella in Siege story, and it's amazing. I, I, in terms of novellas, I would put it in probably my top five novellas easily. In probably in my in, in many ways, I I would argue that Magnus novella in the Siege series is one of the most influential stories for thirty k going into forty k. Well, that's high it's, praise. Yeah, it, it's massive. It is absolutely massive. But what this does quite well, and going going back to Deathfire and Magnus's appearance, is it shows that Magnus isn't dedicated towards the traitors. Yeah, that he's still looking out for well, it's certainly at least his brother Vulcan at this stage. And one thing I did want to mention is that he calls the, the you know the. You know, Melissa, the, the the little girls running around, he calls them demonettes, which I guess fix, fits yeah. in with when they keep talking about the six. The six, yeah, we, we obviously they link that to Slanesh. Yeah, so it's um, not his doing. We, Those demonettes are not his doing. Um, no, no. And it shows that demonettes don't have to be, you know, the uh, uh, the you know what we we conceive of them. They can be a a lot of different things. No, and it, it, it still links into the Slaneshi idea of desire, though, doesn't it? Which is really nice. It's that desire for something you've lost as opposed to yep. the traditional, you know, lust desire that we often associate with Slaanesh. So I think that's, that was a good job of Nick Kime to do that and bring out this a, a different facet of Slaanesh, which we don't see very often. And in fact, I'd, I'd quite like to see that more often, Slaanesh playing on that type of desire. Well, if, if you go back to the early realm of chaos, when... Um... I guess the the chaos gods were a little bit more nuanced. Where you they they, they mentioned in Slave to Darkness that that Slanesh uh, draws its power as much from a love of your family than you know lust. It's 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 much more nuanced than that. It's yeah. not necessarily. It, it got it got it got it got simplified over time. Yes. Yeah. So it was nice to have this part. But yeah. So should we reveal what Magnus's big moment is? Yeah, I found, um, again, I, I find this part very well done because you expect, okay, Magnus is going to come in, they're talking, um, and, and and turns out that uh, Magnus has been behind a lot of this, but not, not this isn't just like like a, a big Zinchian uh, ploy, but he's been behind um, uh, the fact that they've made it as far as, as, as they have. Which, looking back on it in retrospect, you kind of realize that the Salamanders had to have some external help. Yeah. To be able to achieve something that all the other fleets of the Ultramarines, Blood Angels, Dark Angels have not been able to do. You know, the fact they've broken through the Runestorm, they're in different sectors outside the Runestorm or on the edge of the Runestorm, there had to be someone helping them in some way. Well, the question is, why is Magnus helping them? 
Well, yeah. I mean, does it explicitly say that? Uh, the, does it? it, it it's it up? Um, they, they say that there's no way to know. Like they, um, Numion reflects on it and it's like, why is is Mag? Because Magnus essentially, uh, after he talks to Numion um, about, you know, is 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 Vulcan uh, dead? You know, Numion refused to believe it, and Magnus is like, well, of course he's dead. Uh, but then, like, why are you here? Why do you care if your brother if your brother's truly dead? It's a whole back and forth with them. And eventually, Magnus just makes it all go away. Right, they go back into real space. Uh, uh, the 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 demons are gone, and uh, the word bears as well. The word bears get the hell out because you know they're about to die. Yeah, they sort of teleport so, I mean, back to the monarchia. I don't want to give spoilers. I don't want to give spoilers for the Magnus novella, and we really need to do that in the Siege series at some point. Um, but it's interesting that Magnus is instrumental in Vulcan's rebirth because without Magnus's yeah. machinations he would still be on Monarchia. Not Monarchia, um, McCrack. McCrack, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and Numion reflects on this, and it's like there's no way to know why um, Magnus is helping, or even if Magnus knows himself, because remember, Magnus is like just a blasted shards of, 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 of a person. Um, yeah. But there, there's, there, there might be something of just, you know, like a fraternal um, loyalty, you know? Like, uh, and again, me wonders. Part of me wonders if Magnus knows Vulcan is perpetual. Anybody would know. Well, no, they don't know, do they? It's uh, it's completely unknown that he's a perpetual. So it's like if anybody would know, it'd be Magnus. Is what I'm saying. It would be Magnus. If anybody that could like figure it out. But Magnus also knows that for Vulcan to fully be reborn, that there has to be an extra element to it. And obviously, yeah. Magnus is very into the esoteric. He's very into symbolism. Yeah. So he Sim- know. So he knows what is going to be coming up later in the in the novel. So he's got that foreshadowing or that foresight. So I'm wondering if he's manipulating it so that he knows how Vulcan can be reborn. So potentially to help Magnus to become reunified with his shards because it could have to result in a similar way. I don't know. That's interesting. I didn't think about that. So maybe he's using Vulcan almost as a test bed for how he can be resurrected, how how Magnus can be resurrected fully. I do think that uh, what makes this effective and not just, you know, it's a pretty easy way to get to get out of this clearly um th- th- this pickle <laughs> this clearly dangerous situation is just have a god come in and you know uh cue it away but what makes this effective is that magnus he-, he doesn't just solve their problems he gives them a choice he gives them an incredibly difficult choice to i guess and, and this is all on again it comes it comes back to numion's um a-, a-, a story here that he's being constantly tested his faith is being tested um, and, and and this is the hardest test of them all, because uh, when 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 they the the exit the rune storm, they are far enough away. They they actually exit in Segmentum Solar, so nowhere near Nocturne. Um, yeah, they, and they 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 hear a broadcast. Yeah, and I think what makes this especially poignant is don't forget Numian is Terran, so he has that extra pullback. He he they can hear Dawn's summons for all loyalists to return to Terra to help fortify it. And it's also his direct homeworld, which is at a threat. Because Numean was recruited on Terra. He was part of the original 18th before Vulcan 
is rediscovered and creates for salamanders as we know them now. So he has that double pullback. So this is, in many ways, the penultimate test of his faith, isn't he? Does he abandon his legion, his Primarch, for his greater homeworld and his emperor? Or does he put his Primarch first? And it's even more complicated. So they have three choices. The salamanders have an impossible choice between three options. Number one, go to Terra. That's what you're ordered to do. You know, uh, they, they, they figure out that if they're getting this communication, it means that uh, Horus is on his way to Terra. So follow your orders, uh, go to Terra, defend the throne, the throne world and the emperor. Option number two, and this is one that I'm glad they thought about because this is the first thing I would think about. It's like, get your ass back to McCrag and tell Gollum that, that the, throne world, the throne world stands. Yeah. Like that, that seems like a pretty obvious one. Uh, and that would probably help. That would be way more helpful than going to the throne world. Come on. Um, and, and option number three is have, you know, keep the faith, keep the faith. Vulcan lives, get him to Nocturne. And, and with, with the risk that you take yourself out of the war. And also one thing that they never mentioned, but it would be a good point. It's just like, well, maybe the emperor can do something about Vulcan. I think the emperor would be pretty happy if, if you showed up with Vulcan and maybe he can fix him. But you then the, the risk with that as well is you're then taken for Fulgurite to the person who's most at risk to it. From Ooh, it as well. I didn't think about that. That's a good point. Because that's what the word bearers wanted the Fulgurite for in the first place was to kill the emperor. It's very interesting. So you're taking that directly to the danger zone, aren't you? So a bunch of tough choices, and it they is. have you know they have a discussion about it. Numion, um, uh, and again, um, his faith is being tested. His resolve is being tested. Um, and eventually the salamanders uh, um, decide that they decide to keep the faith. You know, Vulcan lives. Let's get him to Nocturne. Let's get him to Mount uh, Deathfire. And, it, and it's quite, uh, it's not unanimous, but it's a clear majority, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, a, a lot of them take the view of, well, what, what can, well, less now less than 60 salamanders actually achieve on the homeworld. Yeah. Um, they don't even contemplate going back to the crag, which is quite interesting. They mention it. They, they mention that it would be an option, but they don't like they, they don't talk about it. They, they don't explore it any further. That would have been really interesting, though, wouldn't it? The possibilities if they went back that would be a great alternative his, uh, heresy for this year's Ooh, shows. Yeah, you know what would happen if if the salamanders salamanders did tell the triumvirate? Actually, you've got a heretical empire. That's alive. Yep, that'd be um, that that that'd be interesting and. But I can also imagine, okay, because imagine that they realize, okay, the reason, um, the way out of the rune storm is the way the salamanders did it. You need to talk to Magnus. Imagine that they they managed to, they said, this would be an interesting book where uh, the triumvirate send, um, I, I don't know who they could send, not the lion, Sanguinius. <laughs> Every, everybody's yeah, other yeah. best friend. Send Sanguinius <laughs> yes. to find Magnus. So you have an alternate, you have a different version of. Well, um, you have a different version of a rune storm novel, don't you? Yeah. So they go in and try to find Magnus and 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 plea with him uh, uh, to. Uh, they could even offer Russ's head. That's what I would do. <laughs> offer yeah. Russ's head in exchange. Uh, we will help you get revenge against Lehman Russ if you get our three legions through the uh, the Ruin Storm. And they show up and they they blunt uh, Horus right uh, right there and yeah. then. And then. Oh, that would be a great. Old, old wouldn't that be cool? I hope people. I hope people are making notes for that. Yeah, take notes. We we want to see. All that great there ideas. We we'll, we'll throw you that one for free, but. As we say, let's let's get back to Salamanders. Yep. So they make possibly the hardest hardest for three choices and decide to return to Nocturne. 
Um, they they want to take Vulcan home. Yeah. Is, is effectively, and there's there's still this kind of hope. There's still this kind of premise that if they take him to Mount Deathfire, then it will resurrect him. Well, yeah, it's, it's, ful- it's fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah. Which, considering the, how ingrained the Imperial Tree should be in the Astartes, it's, am- it's amazing how many of the Astartes legions do not follow the Imperial Truth. I just noticed something. The prophecy at the beginning of the book, this is the dramatic reading I did for the first part. I really like it because it, it's, got, it's got a cool like Conan feel to it, right? Uh, before, the, uh, before the oceans drank Atlantis and et cetera. But yeah. It's called the prophecy of the one-eyed king. Yeah. So, I mean, we've seen before how Magnus predicts events, doesn't he? Yeah. Just not always his own. Intriguing. I, I just picked up on that. That's, that's very interesting. I, it's one of those things I think you pick up on the second or third reading back yep. through this novel days. So, so yeah. So they jump back into the warp, don't they? Yeah. And there's more sacrifice involved because, again, another major theme of the book is sacrifice. And in this case, um, the, the, um, the, 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 the navigator will not survive. Uh, of no, course, she mentions that she's she's not gonna she's not gonna live <laughs> go to Terra here to like yeah pretty busted this up. This is the final burnout for her, isn't it? It's the final push. Yeah. It's the final moment of I've given it all I can. This is yeah. what the final the final and it it draws that clear line underneath it, doesn't it? This is the final journey. So uh, they go back in. They manage to make it through, but not before being attacked again because uh, the Death Guard and um, uh, the 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 word bearers are. Are tracking them, do find them. And uh, this one, you get a little bit more details what the Death Guard want. The Death Guard want uh, Vulcan's head. That's it. That's yeah. the deal that they, they make with the word bearers, right? It's like, okay, you, you can have your Fulgurite. You can pull it out of his body, but we get his head, which I'm assuming yeah. uh, this uh, Death Guard uh, champion is, uh, will present to Mortarian. Um, this is it. And, but the, the other element of it as well is it removes one of the Loyalist Astartes' homeworlds from the game. Yeah, because the fighting is now taking place around Nocturne, isn't it? So, if they can remove the homeworld, that will end that legion completely. Oh yeah. So they they manage to get to Nocturne, but then they find that they're being that that the the, the word bearers, sorry, the uh, the Reaper's Shroud and the Monarchia got there before them, and so they they get out of um uh, they get out of warp, and yeah, these two ships blocking the way, and Charybdis is. It's a battle barge, okay? <laughs> um, it's still a powerful warship, but it's taken a lot of damage, but it's still a battle barge. Yeah, I mean, in, in Battlefleet Gothic turns, it, it's crippled, but it's still going to punch above its weight. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you're still not going to try and take it on with anything less than another battle barge. And I don't believe the Monarchia or the uh, Reaper Shroud are battle barges. I don't think they describe no. them. I don't think they're just this. I don't think they're described, but if you kind of infer between the lines, the fact that the Charybdis, yeah. even in the massively ruined state it's in, is holding both of them at bay, I, it kind of suggests they're both, they're probably both yeah. strike cruisers. Yeah, strike cruisers, or uh, um, they could also be imperial ships, uh, you know, like a, like light cruisers or something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, maybe strike cruisers. I think that makes sense, uh, especially considering how fast they are. The fact that they yes. managed to get there before that that would that would make sense. So they show up. The uh, Monarchia and the Reaper Shroud are blocking their way, and they realize we can't get through both of them. There, there's just no way. Uh, so then they make the very tough decision again, involving sacrifice. That um, the Charybdis will essentially buy time and 
uh, uh, Numion and a few others. Uh, Zafin, not Zafin, Zafin, someone completely different. Uh, Zafon. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Zafon, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and most of the, the, the last salamanders will board a, uh, a stormbird and, and try to get down onto Nocturne and bring a Vulcan back. Uh, try to get through the blockade while the Charybdis tries to do as much damage as possible before it's destroyed. And again, this involves sacrifice of the crew. It, a couple salamanders stay on the ship to defend the bridge, principally, uh, because uh, as soon as they get out, the Reaper Shroud uh, uh, launches Thunderhawks. Torpedoes. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, the, it's the whole classic, we're going to board you. Because it's at the end of the day, the Charybdis is still a ship. If you capture it, you can repair it, and it that's true. goes into your fleet roster. So you don't necessarily want to destroy it. It, it, it It's once again that. that well, they classic. also assume that Vulcan's still on there. Yes. Yeah. Because a single Stormbird is likely to run the blockade because it's going to be quite difficult to pick out a single Stormbird. Uh, so a few Salamanders, only volunteers essentially get to, uh, I think, two, uh, two guys um, to defend the bridge. Uh, they're volunteers, but like all the mortal crew, <laughs> it's just <laughs> all of you will die, but that is a sacrifice I'm willing to make. <laughs> I think it also said something about the Salamander. Well, that recruit by that stage because don't forget most of that crew are probably from five hundred worlds. That's They're a not, good point. It's, it's not a salamander vessel, remember? Because they were just gifted it. By no, them. no, no. This was a salamander's vessel, and the crew is is definitely um, oh because uh, they, they mention it. They they mentioned that the crew, uh, the captain and and the navigator were uh, the navigator in particular from birth. That's right. No, yeah, you are right. The, uh, uh, I think it's like the biggest ship that the salamanders had left in their fleet uh, at McCrag. And, and and so yeah, they were you know they they knew they were gonna have to sacrifice themselves sooner so, or later, and they did. So that whole idea of sacrifice is built into them anyway, because it's part yeah. of the nocturne psychology, isn't it? From one, from ah. it's it's part of their culture. So and the fact they're saving a primark, and we've seen this time and time again that everyone, Astartes and non-gene enhanced members of whatever legion it is are willing to do anything to protect their primarch. Yeah, absolutely. And and and, and that's what happens. So the Charybdis uh, strikes back with everything it has. It manages... Um, the monarchy is destroyed. Uh, but like al- already the Death Guard uh, commander said that I might have to sacrifice the monarchy to, uh, to, to, well, to get what's mine. You know, the, the Salamanders are prepared to sacrifice their mortal crew and the death guard are prepared to sacrifice word bearers who are <laughs> so you know there's a payoff isn't there but they also do launch uh do launch word bearer and death guard troops down to nocturne itself as well don't they so there, there are troops on the surface because so, what ha- what happens on the surface is very june like uh, the same thought so the uh um the stormbird i think it's a stormbird um that's ferrying uh, Numian and uh, Vulcan and the rest of the uh, Salamanders. It gets shot down by a fire raptor, I believe. Uh, Death Guard fire raptor and crashes. Yeah. And then they believe that they're, you know, you know, they're cooked because they don't have any heavy weapons. And then they get uh, the cavalry comes in. Turns out there are literally, Salamanders left on Nocturne. Literally the great, the great Drakes. So yes, so just like. Um, well, it's actually in a prophecy, isn't it? That the great drakes will start. Oh, um, not yet. Uh, this is still when they get rescued by salamanders and decide to make their final uh, stand at a like Helm's Deep kind of fortress. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, now I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? So yes, yeah, I think so, you're, I think you're just well, overly excited about the Dune Lake. Just, yeah. Yes, yeah, because <laughs> you know every, everything's better with giant worms um, and, and dragons. I mean, and dragons. I, I understand you wanted to skip this bit. That's fair. Like, get to, get to the dragons. We want to get to dragons. God damn it! Get to the dragons already. Um, but anyways, not not much to talk about here. They decide uh, they get rescued by uh, uh, what's that super famous salamander? Oh, the um, he's the, the Forge Father, isn't he? Tekel? Is it Tekel? Uh, Raitan. 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 Like, uh, who's you know, you know. He's probably the highest ranking uh, um, uh, Salamander left. He's the uh, uh, he's the, the the keeper of the keys or something. Voice which of becomes, Fire and Keeper of the Keys. Yeah, cool which becomes title. more significant in Old Earth, doesn't it? Yeah. So uh, they get rescued. The, the, um, the, the initial Death Guard attacks with their uh, their Fire Raptor gets blown up, and um, they meet and they decide, okay, where we need to make a stand because the Death Guard are about to invade. Uh, and and I think there's a few hundred. I think there's 700 salamanders left on Nocturne, just still a sizable force in 40k terms. Uh, an immense force in heresy terms. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a pocket battalion, isn't a pocket it? Battalion. <laughs> <laughs> so they decide to make um, make a last stand at uh, or last stand. They make a stand at, at this fortress which has void shields and all that. So they, they deflect all the bombardment. This is one of my favorite little bits of lore. My favorite little bits of uh, of detail in this entire book, though, is that the Death Guard try to virus bomb the planet, not like life feed or anything, but like still try to virus bomb the planet. Yeah, but the viruses can't survive Nocturne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nocturne is such an inhospitable planet. Yeah. <laughs> not even the, Death Guard biological weapons. Survive. Yeah, the viruses immediately burn, like burn to yeah. death. Like it, it's great. You cannot kill what is already dead. Try virus yeah. bombing a Death World. <laughs> screw it's like screw you Fenris you thought you were bad <laughs> literally viruses can't survive <laughs> I was, you can just imagine it can't you when when death when uh, salamanders meet up with space balls and space balls going oh yeah we, we live in the most dangerous planet in the galaxy and the salamanders are going yeah but not even virus weapons survive on ours yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do <laughs> we got crickets we got dragons <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, I can I can imagine the dick measuring that takes place with those guys in their death worlds. No, because um, the salamanders wouldn't engage in it, would they? They would just sit there and just let the six legion just carry on boasting about it. Because yeah, it's the salamander way, isn't it? It's just like no, we we don't make have to make a big thing about it. We just come and visit us at, at some point. Yeah, just stoicism. So it's like okay, you could talk yeah. your talk. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. Talk. Flap your gums. Uh, <laughs> So uh, they, 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 they hole up at this uh, readout, has a bunch of void shields. So the Death Guard try bombarding them, but it gets deflected by the voids. They try virus bombing them, but the viruses can't survive Nocturne. And then, uh, they, so of course, what they, 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 they land uh, a, a huge armored contingent, um, which the Salamanders don't have. They don't, uh, but then Numion points out, it's like, oh yeah, I remember why we don't have a lot of heavy armor deployed on Nocturne. Yeah, there's reasons why we don't want to set up vibrations through the planet's crust. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, they get... You, uh, you, <laughs> sorry. What you want to see is salamanders running out with thumpers. That's what you want to see. <laughs> yes. A bunch of Typhon heavy tanks and I'm assuming a bunch of other uh, heavy armor starts to to approach, um, uh, to lay siege and destroy the salamanders. But then like the ground starts starts shaking. And yes, uh, <laughs> no- Nocturne defends itself. Yep. 
And I love what they point out. It's like Nocturne feels that Vulcan is back. That's how Numion in- interprets it, right? Yeah. It's like uh, it's like antibodies. I think this is a, 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 this might be a good um, a, a good symbolism. It's like the antibodies of Nocturne, right? The Death yeah. Guards show up with it, with their viruses, and the antibodies of Nocturne fight off the contagion with yes. dragons. It, it, it's with dragons and huge fire drakes, and it's so basically you've got Smaug laying waste to the Death Guard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, these giant, like, this huge... And they're pointing out, it's like, I've never seen anyone that big. I've, I've slayed some drakes in my time, but I've never seen any this big. You have dragons that are so big that they're literally picking up fucking Typhons and biting yeah. them in half. Yeah, it's brilliant. I, the whole it, council of a, worms is here. Yeah. I, even the salamanders take a step back, don't they, and go, uh, we're not dealing with that. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to... That this is a momentous occasion, but we're just going to watch. It's fine. The Death World uh, rises up, destroys most of the Death Guard, and then the Salamanders are like when when the um, Death Guard are pretty weak, and they they step out and just finish them off. This was one Death yeah. Guard uh, champion is like, I want you to remember the name of the person that uh, laid waste to your world, and he doesn't even get finished saying his his uh, his name um, before Numian cuts his head off. So it's yeah. like, well, uh, that's it for you guys. So basically, the Salamanders emerge once the Drakes have had their fill. Yep. Basically, once they're eaten, a bit sleepy, <laughs> you know, starting to settle back down again, yeah. <laughs> then the Salamanders go right now and say, <laughs> "Let's go." So I, I don't know. Did, I don't know if they describe how this uh, the 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 Death Guard left. I, I'm I'm assuming like the uh, the Reaper Shroud just kind of like leaves because <laughs> there's not much uh, to be gained. Yeah, I would, I would imagine the Vox signals from that armored column are a bit interesting. <laughs> up to up to the shroud, up to the. Did you shroud. say it's dragon? Just, Come a, again? No, it's 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 got to be a vox breakup. That doesn't sound Dra- right. Do you mean a dragoon? No, <laughs> yeah. dragon. Oh shit! Okay, we're out. Yeah. Bye. See you later. <laughs> we we commend you. We commend you to Mortarian. See you later. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll tell him you die gloriously in the maw of a giant beast. So, uh, yeah, and one last detail um, of this bit is uh, uh, so Narek managed to get out. Two yeah. people managed to get out of this uh, this uh, this shit show. Uh, Narek has a oh, yeah, there's one final battle with uh, Narek and um, uh, and 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 Zenatul, I believe. Is it Zenatul? Yes, because he's been the, the word bearer lead all the way through, hasn't he? He's that classic mustache twiller, twirling. Maniacal. Was it Core Gaelic? Core Gaelic makes it out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, Zinatul, um, he finally finds that salamander that he uh, he had um, you know left for dead, which you should never do. Just 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 kill him. Just, but, no, uh, yeah. He said he was going to come back, uh, Vorko, and 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 so the guys like you know round two, and and Zinatul is like, okay, I'm going to kill you properly this time because I forgot to do it last time. And then um, as he walks into, uh, I. He, he as he gets uh, um, approaches, he hears like footfalls behind him. It's just like, oh, living bait! Uh, how impressive! And then Narek blows his brains out. Yeah, and Narek but makes it's nice. It's Sorry. nice to see the loyalists not playing fair with honorable jewels. Because yeah, that, that, that would be that that would be a classic traitor trick, wouldn't it, normally, wouldn't it? This is something you typically sort of see amongst the traitors. Like, oh yeah, well, I've lulled you into this. Well, you think it's going to be an honorable combat and my friend is going to absolutely do you from behind. It's nice to see the, the loyalists doing the same for once. 
And it's interesting, it's one of the uh, Malkador's agents that does it as well. It says a lot about his agencies. Yeah, but he's not like a willing agent. No. They, they mess with his agent. brain. Um, and I think he, he still sees himself as... I think he understands himself. His role now is, I am a killer of Primarchs. I have to kill. I have to kill Vulcan. Um, I don't. I don't recall if this uh, this part of the story moves forward. Perhaps in the Siege of Terra series, we'll see. Uh, so uh, Narek manages to get into escape pod, escape pod a Nocturne. Core Gaelic also managed to get out. Uh, as the uh, I guess the Monarchy is about to. No, he was on the uh, Reapers. The the uh, he's on the Reaper Shroud. Yeah, yeah, he's on the Reaper Shroud, and he managed to get out because I think the Reaper Shroud took a hell of a lot of damage from the Charybdis. Yes. Um, so no one was. He mentions like no one was willing to actually stop me. So he uh, he 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 went uh, grabbed a thunderhawk, and 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 got the hell out of there. And he does have a fragment of the fulgurite. Yes. So let's see what he does with that. And um, so yeah, every, everybody kind of scatters, and and now we have the final uh, part of the book, which is they have this this really. And Nick kind of does a great job here, like describing like this procession where uh, they honorably bring. Uh, Vulcan up to uh, Mount Deathfire and fling him in, uh, and then nothing happens. Yeah, all goes quiet, and everyone's kind of looking at each other, aren't they? Yeah. So, so turn- like, oh, but, but we did everything. And Numion in particular, Numion spends eight days, I believe, um, sort of praying and reflecting and meditating, hoping that all the sacrifice was worth it. Um, and eventually, he realizes that not all has been sacrificed. Yeah, and I think the description of his walk up Mount Deathfire is, I don't want to use the word poetic, but it's certainly one of those real heartfelt moments in the novel. Uh, it, the, the kind of closest comparison to me is the scene in the uh, Fellowship for a Ring, Boromir's death, when it's all in slow motion. Yeah. It, it's that kind of realisation that he knows he's going to his death, but he knows it's worth while what he is doing and what the end result is going to be. It's also the prophecy of the one-eyed king. You know, this was this was the prophecy. Yeah. And then he, you know, Numion has to realize that I oh, it's this is about me, isn't it? This is what I have to do. Uh and uh, uh I don't know if you read the uh, the afterword for uh Nick Kine. I don't know which edition you have, but uh Kai mentions that he had um I guess the the stages of grief on a post-it note when he was writing this. Uh, yeah, because that's sort of New Milan's arc is all the stages of grief, and this was acceptance. It's like, yeah, uh, uh, and, and 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 so he goes in and he immolates himself um, in 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 Mount Deathfire, and that was the turns out that was the the final sacrifice that was needed because this book is all about sacrifice. That was the final sacrifice. He had to sacrifice himself. Yes, um, uh, he he kept the faith the faith the whole time, and this was the um, uh, the culmination of that faith. Yeah, and. The end result is Vulcan is reborn. And Vulcan lives. A, Vulcan lives and he rejoins his legion. Yeah. So, and, yeah, it's, yeah. That's it, isn't it, really? That's it. I mean, obviously, we've, we've, the novel's an interesting one. I, I like the Salamander arcs. Um, as we'll see, there's, there's still old Earth to discuss at some point in the future. Um, and I, I like the whole theme of meaningful sacrifice in its purest form and i like how they portray the salamanders as being as spiritual as 
as much as the Space Wolves are, because there's always a big thing made, isn't there, about the Space Wolves and their spiritualism. We see that especially in well, Wolf King. We see that in Wolf Spain as well. But the Salamanders have an equally spiritual side to them. It's just a very, very different spiritualism. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it shows the faith and it shows also the challenges of, of, of the faith. And this whole story, I, I mean, we talk about this this being the Odyssey. And, and, and again, in the afterward, Kaim says, like, uh, he has to mention that it's deliberate. You know, the, the perils of the Odyssey. It's like, yeah, we got it. <laughs> we understand yeah, that. Really? It's like, we understand really? that this was an accident. It's the Odyssey. I would never have got that idea. <laughs> but, I yeah, do think it suffers from the typical middle book of a trilogy syndrome. That's interesting because it was designed as a trilogy with uh, Old Earth um, and, and Vulcan well, we, Lives. Uh, yeah. And and I, I don't know if it suffers from that. I, I just think that there's, I, I think for what the purpose of the book is, a lot could have been removed. And some of the middle of the book is a little bit repetitive. I find that this could have been um, edited down a little bit to make it a little bit tighter. Again, we, we were a little bit negative last time. Um, and I think it's because we just reread uh, the middle part of the book. It's like, Jesus, just keeps going, doesn't it? Uh, but like in some, the story is great. And the last third, I would say the last 200 pages are, are fantastic, are really, really good. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely enjoyed it. The highlights for me, the highlights for me for a book are the second demon incursion with with the demonettes, Magnus's revela- uh, revelations, and the final scenes with the great drakes tearing down Death Guard. I think for me, those are the high points of the novel. Yeah, it's like uh, 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 Damnation of Pythos. You can't go wrong with uh, with Space Marines fighting dragons. No. Like, who doesn't want that? Who who doesn't want to see genetically engineered super soldiers fighting off massively fiery beasts? You have. But yeah, the, your inner child has to be long dead for you not to enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be something wrong inside of you for you not to enjoy giant scaly beasts eating super heavy tanks into. <laughs> But like, there's a lot of highlights in the, this book, honestly. Um, and and the only lowlights are, I, I feel that a little bit repetitive, just in the middle. And uh, yeah, it, 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 there's a middle part that kind of drags. Um, as and far think- as being the middle of of a uh, of a trilogy, that's always challenging. But it's often also it's some of the best stories are often the middle uh, trilogy, which I don't think is the case here. Uh, I uh, I think Vulcan Lives is is amazing. Old Earth is great. I, I just think that this book has a lot of an incredibly great moments super fun stuff again i i totally agree with you the second uh, uh the demonic incursion with the with, with the little girl uh, melissa i thought was just incredibly well constructed and creepy which is what we want from the warp again you can't go wrong with dragons eating typhons and and the stuff like to come back on the first part the, uh, all the stuff with the um uh, the triumvirate um i thought was was fun trying to convince them that this is the right move and yeah. and magnus it could have been dumb it could have been poorly done but it was it's it's it, it well written. That it section. was well written, well written and it added to the story. And it and the most important thing with the whole thing with Magnus and I'll end with this. Uh, but um, the most important thing with the thing with Magnus, it didn't take away characters' agency in the way that that kind of dosex uh, uh, machina can can sometimes do. Right? It's just like oh yeah, no. God, I was just going to solve this problem, but actually created more problems. It created a more challenging a more challenging moment where they had to make an incredibly difficult choice between three three options and they chose the the option of faith and sacrifice which i thought was worked very well and it adds to the complexity of magnus 
as well dramatically adds to a complexity of Magnus because once again it's challenging the idea well yeah Magnus is a traitor Primarch isn't he so far really is he at this stage can you honestly say hand on heart that he is a traitor Primarch at this stage of heresy and I think this is one of those ones that muddies the water in that argument as well which I really like about Magnus I, I do like that confused where where does he sit but I think the other thing to recognize about Death by the novel is how it set up really key things for the future of the heresy as well. It's in later novels and later mm. books. The, some of the payoffs from this may not appear in some cases until the siege novels, but you can see how they're building up. You, you in retrospect, looking back, you can see a bit like Ruin Storm, how a novel that wasn't well received when it particularly came when it came out is much more influential looking back than we thought it was at the time. Oh, absolutely. So I guess in conclusion, um, this this is a good book. It's not my favorite, but it's got some of my favorite moments. How, how's that for a conclusion? Yeah, works for me. I, I would agree. It's not the best novel. It's certainly not the worst. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not the worst. And there's more to enjoy than not in the lot in the overview of the story. Excellent. So uh, I guess what are we doing next time in Tales of Heresy? We're going straight to Old Earth, eh? Um, we can do. Yeah. Did you, did you want to do a palate cleanser before we uh, we started Old I, Earth? I think it might be quite nice to just do a quick palate cleanser, can it? Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll reflect on that off air, uh, what we want to do. Uh, but definitely we'll be back to the Salamander soon with Old Earth. And uh, we'll be right back for Two Week Copy Challenge. And welcome back to the two-week hobby challenge, where we will see what we've conquered between the 30th and the 26th of February. February, it always, I mean, this year's going by already so quickly. Okay, let's dive straight into this since we had such a huge, 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 huge uh, intro to the show. Okay, so Ezra Meyer, top fan, uh, got started on... You, did, you, didn't, a, you didn't ask us. Did You, you just assumed well, I didn't do anything, right? I, I, I'm assuming... You didn't do anything either! commented in the in the i thought we wanted this quick and snappy you're still supposed to like uh uh to, to ask Maya. darren He's all, done his... another all, right, all right all right all right diy legio i'm plowing through this um and he's got two epic scale spartans he's got a bunch of at stuff very oh and uh, I, I like the base that you printed predatory instinct i'm into that uh, very nice. The where Sarah Elwood, my champion, just need to add a little finishing details today. Blood Angel champion. I'm, I'm well into that. Oh, looks fantastic. Um, Love. Mm, yeah, look at, looking really strong. Uh, we have Grant Wills, top fan. I've painted another block of 10 uh, Ad Secularis tech thralls. Those look great. I don't know whether they're like 3D printed miniatures or, or what, but yeah. Uh, I like the purple. I, I, I like the I like the like the purple and the yellowish uh, like silver kind of thing. Or it's like khaki. Looks good. Yeah, yeah, really, really nice. Uh, Gary A. Bridges built some of these chaps. You have ten uh, missile launchers, looking good. Anders Friedrichsen. I just finished a commission. A lot of Deacon. That is a lot of Deacon. Uh, yeah, who doesn't love floating turtles? Uh, Philip Hansen, top fan. More details on my alternate paint scheme for the Praetor. Let's have a little check on this. Yeah, I'm digging that. Oh, uh, yeah, the color shift effect really works. Like the metallic black that you've created. Yeah, it looks really good. It's gorgeous. I, I like it. Dave Smith casually painted the converted Primark. 
Yeah, I like that. Uh, and you have the spear uh, uh, sword option for in-game. Yeah, really, really like that. Uh, a good sanguineous conversion. Lewis Fox, top five. Uh, finished my poisoners from the last time. Uh, I like the really dark oh, black green is, that you used on there. This is a Death Guard uh, uh, chapter, yes. right? It's from one of the new uh, campaigns. It, it's one mm. of the new special. Oh, but, but, but using like the heresy uh, flamers, like that's fantastic. They look so dirty and evil. Yeah. Very the, cool. Very like cool. all good Death Guard. Yeah. Uh, we have Chris Page. This fort I've mostly been painting tanks. Oh my god, he's got a fleet of tanks there. Looking great. David Collins, suitably grimdark for the Workhorse Legion, his own Primarch betrayed them for the first moment they met. Only one in ten people will get that joke. Darren Winter. Boo! Rebasing. Boo! Oh. Boo! Darren Winter rebasing enters its final few stages. Only a few more units uh, let uh, left after the slot. Let's have a look at these. Oh, they look so good. They look so good. You give me ideas for my own sons of war. And this Darren is apparently painting some Eldar. Yeah, it's the yes. vampire for VA. It's huge. It is absolutely <gasps> massive compared to the other oh, flyers. Jesus, that's awesome. It's a, I have to say, it is an amazing sculpt. The quality of the sculpt is one of the best I've seen from Forge World for quite really? some time. Yeah. Yeah, they've, they've upped their game with, with recent scope and hardly any mold release. It cleaned up really well. Just give us Epic Imagine. already. Just give us Epic. Imagine what they do with Epic. Yeah, this is just oh about God. to put the words out of my mouth. Uh, okay, Keith Craycraft, terrain meeting up for the 26th. Yep, love that terrain. Uh, looks very brutal. Uh, Max Cooper, oh my god, one coat to go in the new recording studio, ready for the new edition. Oh my god, sweet, it's black, it's sleek. sweet, that looks fantastic. It looks, it looks like somewhere you like throw somebody that you've kidnapped. Uh, so very <laughs> in keeping with, with Max's tone in this podcast. Love oh, yeah, it. Miles David, oh, what's this? I what's this? Oh, you anything. did something. Yeah. I didn't paint anything. Oh, excuse me. This is a big, a big, huge Bellacore's base that I've been painting. Thank you very much. Uh, Mike Holmberg. Uh, thank you. It's, uh, it's only appreciated. But yeah, it's, it's a bitch of a model to hold and paint. But very nice miniature. Uh, Mike Holmberg finished my warmonger for my Ultramarines. Let me have a look see at this. It's uh, a great I model. That's, get... the Cal, that's the Cal Terminator, eh? the, the, the Terminator Praetor. Yeah. Like, great little model. Like, it's so cool. I love Classic. the stance. Paint the base, uh, the, 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 the ring of the base a different color to really finish it off. Yeah, uh, it's black on the multi-melter. Yeah. Uh, black, uh, brown, whatever. Just make it different from the armor. Uh, something neutral. And it will look, it's that final finishing touch that just uh, it, it finish off a great paint job. Morgan Wagner uh, tried sculpting a face and converting. Oh, nice. First, yeah, like uh, salamander, kind of like uh, what are they called? The uh, the salamander uh, terminators. Oh, no, the ones what? with the uh, that burninate, the burninators, pyroclast, pyroclast. <laughs> thank you, Jesus Christ. Yeah, they have like the like the, the like the dragon scale, like face covering, yeah, face mask. Oh, it's really the cool. Durads. Sean Gray has some beautiful terrain that he's been working on, and some world eaters and iron hands. Oh my god, you've been busy. Uh, we have Axel Trump Heffer. Uh, working on the uh, what's this? The word, word bus. bus. The word the bus. bus. Fucking Spartan. Word bearers. Spartan. Um, how can you go wrong? 
Just fucking. Uh, you can make, oh, you should call it like a mobile library or something. Yeah. Justin Gaskins, add another OG Rhino to my world eaters. Nice. Yeah, nice, just, nice, nice. We're yeah. talking about the intro. Oh, those aren't big enough anymore. Yeah. How you can fit like three Marines in there. Uh, Luke Jordan finished up some stuff for the uh, for Legion that he's painting. And then we have Richard Neary uh, being painted some possessed for a friend's 40k death guard. And they look suitably oh, possessed. Okay. Honestly, there, I love this is so old school, like uh, exploded paint factory kind of thing. Uh, that we used to mm. see in the, like the nineties. Remember old orc armies um, that would just <laughs> yeah. have like every 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 like half uh, every model was like a different color. Love it, uh, the garish and beautiful. I love it. Well done. Uh, uh, JP, right. what, what what did you do in your two weeks? Yeah, you're helping me uh, with the uh, the Falcon, uh, and you didn't get back to me, yes. and I and you did some I advice, am. and 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 if anything. Uh, you should be in the box of shame for not getting back to me and, and letting me, uh, letting I feel me know where I was supposed to put the fucking highlights on the Falcon. <laughs> it's, it's tax season. Sorry. Um, my my tax is due oh, tomorrow. Oh, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I'm also working on uh, trying to figure out how the hell I'm bringing my 3,000 points of iron words to Adepticon. I got to buy new foam and everything. Yeah, it's just a nightmare. But I'm working on my Falcon. Um, it's slow, but you know the important thing is uh, I will eventually get it done and I only have yeah, three weeks. So I don't have a choice. Sometimes you need a swift kick in the ass to actually get your project done, and this will get done. All right. So to end this show, I would like to play a, uh, a song uh, from a, a band in, if any, a genre that I've recently discovered called Dungeon Synth. Um, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, have you ever heard Dungeon Synth? It's no, literally, it's, Dungeon Synth. Where on earth would I hear Dungeon Synth for? <laughs> It's pretty much um, a genre of music that sounds like Final Fantasy uh, 4, right? It sounds like <laughs> Dragon Warrior. Um, uh, do you want to share the Wikipedia entry for it? What does it say? It's a, a genre. Uh, so there's two warnings initially on this article. It contains <laughs> possible original research and article listed sources may not be reliable. Okay. That's a, <laughs> so it's, it's as reliable as I am. Yeah, Dungeon Synth is a genre of electronic music that merges elements of black metal yeah. and dark ambient. Yeah. And the style emerged in the early 1990s, predominantly among members of black metal scenes such as Amortis, spelt with two eyes, Burzum, Robert Fudali, and Lord Wind, and Graveland, and uh, a bunch of other people. Ah, Burzum and Graveland are both Nazi bands, though. But anyways, uh, <laughs> okay, the band I'm going to show is almost certainly not Nazis. Uh, I should probably check, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure are Nazis. Um, this is a group called uh, Questmaster, and they play uh, definitely more synth-heavy uh, dungeon uh, dungeon synth. Great stuff. I, I'm, I've been loving it so far. Uh, last few months, I've been uh, playing Warhammer-themed bands, but I mean, it was pretty close. So, Questmaster, great stuff. As far as I know, not Nazis. I've got them up here. Questmaster, the first thing. Are they Nazis? Uh, they have a massive, great swastika. No. God damn it. No, no, no. They're fine. They're fine. They're kosher. They it's do. like whenever you find a new black metal band, the first thing you check yeah. is, like, are they Nazis? It's like, ah, oh, they're Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, no, these guys look, look look good though. Quest Master, you can you can listen to them guilt free. 
uh, Questmaster is great. Uh, so uh, I'm going to play some Questmaster. I hope uh, everybody enjoys it. Um, so what are we doing next episode? Um, well, we're going to do the Hydrocordatus campaign, the Iron Warrior campaign. So we get to talk about Iron Warriors there, JP. Always a bonus for you and I. Always fun. And uh, in uh, Tales of Heresy, uh, what are we doing? We did not make a decision. We're not starting uh, Old Earth for another episode. We, uh, As usual, when we do long series and Death, uh, Deathfire still took us three episodes, we usually have a little palate cleanser episode. So I think we, we're going to try to find a novella or something like that that we can do, can break down. And, put in a suggestion here. Yeah, of um, course. I'm, I'm chatting with this with Alex from the Death and Betrayal podcast, and this struck us as really odd. The short story where Fulgrim gets exercised by his... That's such a disturbing short story. Uh, yeah. The reflection cracked, I believe. Yes, I believe Maybe. it's reflection. Yes, but it's, it's that one. Su- it's such a disturbing short story. Should, should we chat about that? Because it's a very odd story. Oh, Even this- the horse heresy. It's it's, it's a- from it's tales and tales of heresy, isn't it? It's one yeah, it's from it's really one of the f- early. Isn't it in the Primarchs, the one with the four short novellas? Yes, it is. I'm pretty sure it's in the Pride Marks um, anthology. Here's the other question. Have we already done it five years ago? (laughs) I I feel like we've talked about it before. I don't know. I'd have to double check. But yeah, definitely. If we haven't done it already, let's do it. That sounds great. Or even if we have done it already. um, It's possible Mark and I did it in 2005, uh, 2015 or something like that. So I don't remember. I think I'd remember talking about a story like that. I remember mentioning it. I don't know if we did a whole episode about it. I'll, ha- I'll have to check the notes. But yeah, if you guys want to do that one, that'd be great. Even if we have done yeah. it before, I mean, it would have been a long time ago. And well, let's um, just say we're doing it. Let's just say we're, let's yeah, say we're, we're doing one do for most. Sounds good. One, you know, if it's disturbing by Empress Children standards, you know it's disturbing. I, I love that story. Let's do it for sure. All right. So that was episode 123 of the Age of Darkness podcast. As usual, thank you everyone for listening. Mm-hmm.